and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. Thank you for joining us for the 51st episode of the show. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and we are back once again to banish another unlucky games industry member to a deserted gaming place. Joining me this week is a guest who, while studying for his bachelor's degree in history at the Elizabeth City State University in North Carolina, noticed that there was a distinct lack of information or content about video game history, or noted record of stuff that has happened over the years in the industry. A niche was definitely there, and not wanting anyone to suffer the same issue he had, uh, being unable to find information on such subjects, he created a YouTube channel. A YouTube channel called The Gaming Historian. Very aptly named, I must admit. Ever since releasing his first ever episode all about the NES2 top loader, he's been producing videos on subjects ranging from consoles, games, companies, lawsuits, and all manner of aspects from gaming's history. After millions and millions of views, he's about to hit 300,000 subscribers as well. My guest this week is the historian himself, Mr. Norman Caruso. Hello, Norman. Hi, how, how are you? That was, um, I feel like I should accept a, an Oscar after hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I, 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 I do definitely get a kick out of uh, writing these intros uh, for my guests to see how shocked or uh, how maybe reflective they become. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very detailed. I, I enjoyed it. I can hear oh, it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, next week you can listen to it back and back. Okay. <laughs> and just that's like fair. have that nice little ego boost in the car. Like, yeah, God damn it, I am the gaming historian. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But Norman, thank you so much for joining me. Um, how are you doing today? I am, am doing fantastic. It is Friday. I'm ready for the weekend. And uh, I, I did it last night. I did a stream of Super Mario Brothers 3. I played through the whole game without warp whistles. And uh, it, the game's a lot harder than I remember it. I so. actually, well, I picked up a Japanese copy of uh, Super Mario Bros. 3 recently, and I was playing it. Um, that game is harder, way harder than I ever remember. And it's way harder than Super Mario World and the, the preceding games afterwards. I kind of, I don't, I don't think I finished it either um, during my time. I think I maybe got a little frustrated. Oh, that was, <laughs> I, the problem was the game didn't save. Um, yeah, so I would play it, it, the copy I had. I think the battery had run out. So on Mario three, yeah. Uh, does that have a save feature on the Famicom? I, wait, what was I? Hmm. Maybe I was. <laughs> hang on a second. Wait a minute. Wait. Let's make sure we're talking about the same game. Are you was talking about I, Mario two? Are you thinking about Mario two? Like Mario hmm. USA? No, no. It was Mario three. But was I playing an emulated version? Maybe I don't. Know, I can't remember. But I was playing Mario three. It was Mario three okay. for sure. And um, okay. it was just way harder. And I remember just getting nowhere. Um, <laughs> being severely disappointed in myself. Um, yeah, but that's the, um, quite commendable the, um, that you finished it. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I I just wanted to comment about not using warp whistles. I think when everyone discovered the warp whistles in that game, uh, they used it every time after that. And so, like, actually playing through every world, yeah, you, you, yeah, it's way harder than you realize because you don't have to play those <laughs> levels if you use the warp whistle. And, oh, oh man, I'm just not good at games, I think, anymore. When I come back to old <laughs> games, what there were other games I played recently. I think I was trying to play Final Fantasy VI, um, the Japanese copy, I because mm -hmm. that's pretty much the only copies I can buy these days. I can buy them cheap from like secondhand stores, and I give them a whirl. And obviously, you know, you just skip through all the Japanese text. Um, but 
man, I just, I just d- don't know what I'm doing. I just die all the time or just <laughs> my party gets wiped out. And it's the same like playing old platformers as well. I don't know whether I'm getting old or I just have lost or whether I was even good in the first place. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a combination of both. Well, uh, yeah, I, maybe. I, I, I feel the same way because, like, when I was young, I, I feel like my hand-eye coordination was way better. And my, you know, I had better reflexes. But, yeah, like, my thumb really hurts this morning from playing Mario 3 last night. <laughs> but that, that's weird. It's like that's kind of almost like a, you can think of your 15-year-old self saying such things. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of cool to be able to say it when you're older as well. Like, oh, man. My hand really hurts. Oh, why? Oh, yeah, it's because I was playing Street Fighter 2 all night. Yeah. <laughs> Last night. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, One thing I did want to ask is, obviously, um, in your sort of role as the gaming historian, you do cover mostly games from the past or, you know, companies from the past and relics from gaming's uh, sort of history. Um, Do you, when you're talking about different games, do you go back and play them first? Or is it sort of like maybe everyone's played these. I don't really need to comment on the game itself, just about the history, or is it a sort of a whole production that includes playing the games as well? It always involves playing the game as well. And I do that strictly for my own benefit when writing, so I can get a better perspective of the game. Um, I know a lot, actually a lot of people comment and they say, why why do some of these episodes take so long? And that's part of the reason I like to play through the game before I talk about it because I don't know, there's something about it feels maybe disingenuous for me to talk about something without ever playing it. Um, Yeah, because I did wonder that because I thought that's kind of how I would feel as well. Um, Yeah. Like when I have a guest on the podcast i if i if i haven't played their game before i definitely make sure i would play their game before they came on otherwise it would just feel disingenuous to talk about their work or what they've done um but yours isn't a reviewing aspect or a sort right. of opinion based it's more facts and history so that's why i wondered if you did go ahead and play the games yeah and and part of it's just you know curiosity on my part like if i haven't played it before um, you know, let me give it a shot. Let me see what this game is like. Um, one example would be Star Tropics 2, Zoda's Revenge. I, ne- I never played that as a kid. I played the, the first one, Star Tropics, but uh, before, I wa- before I talked about Star Tropics 2, I wanted to see the differences in the game. I didn't just want to, like, look up what's different about these games. I wanted to, like, experience what was different. How did these games make me feel differently? Okay. Um... So, do you sometimes feel that um, biasness towards a game after you've played it? Um, maybe <laughs> if you're comparing two games, like uh, when you talk about different companies, or does your own opinions come into it sometimes? Yeah, um, it's when I talk about an individual game. Sometimes it's not just all facts because sometimes that can be less interesting. Uh, so. When I talk about a game that I really like, yeah, I do. I do inject my opinion in there, um, not like completely, but I do say like I really like this game, or maybe this game's a little disappointing. Uh, but yeah, I don't. Some episodes I don't want it to be just completely facts. Like this is a game. This came out this year. This is a <laughs> here's the genre of the game. You know. So you, you got to put a little emotion and feeling into it sometimes. 
No, that's fair enough. I I guess it's also part of the appeal because I I do notice sometimes when I watch your videos, you you, you give the facts and you give the information, but then you're like, oh, on a personal note, um, you know, I think this is a really good game, or like maybe this game is not as good as previous games, and I'm like, oh yeah, um, Norman has a personality. <laughs> yeah, it's not just facts and stuff like that, and it is like. Oh, a little bit of a personal twist as well. Um, right. So let's talk a little bit about the gaming historian then and the channel that you started. Um, you are about to hit 300,000 subscribers, which I imagine mm-hmm. is something you're looking at daily um, as the buildup <laughs> comes to it. You know, not believe it or not, not so much anymore. I think when the channel was, was older, yeah, I, I checked like every day. How many subscribers did I gain today? Like... What, like especially when I hit a hundred thousand, I that was like a super exciting moment for me. But uh, yeah, I don't know what when when you when you get to three hundred thousand, um, I guess it loses some of the magic. Like it's it's still a huge accomplishment. <laughs> I don't want to downplay it, but uh, is it like negligible number statistics at that point? Like the almost the, the, it kind the of the money that and way. stats don't really make too much of a difference at that point. Yeah, I'm more, I guess I'm more, I'm, I think about more like, what video do I want to make next? Like, what will people like the most? Um, but yeah, I mean, it is exciting to hit 300. I hit 200,000 last year, so going on pace to hit 300,000 this year, it's like, okay, we're we're still going strong. We're, we're doing a good job. This is reaff- reaffirming that, like, I'm on the right track, I guess. Excellent. So tell me a little bit about the channel starting and um you did a bachelor's degree in history um yes which totally makes sense um and you noted that there was a distinct lack of you know information out there about you know his- the history of gaming maybe there was a lot of review stuff we've always had stuff like ign and GameSpot, and yeah uh, you know we had one up and so there was always opinions based on games right now and maybe some retrospective articles and stuff but not like a kind of chronological history of video games about weird stuff as well. Um, was it like an immediate thing? You were like, I can do this. I can be the person to do this. Yeah, it was like, it's the most cliche, like, you know, the light bulb moment in cartoons. Yeah. The light bulb appears above their head. That's what it felt like with this show. Um, I I was in college. I was 20 years old. So I started this show nine years ago, which is crazy to me because uh, like you can you can watch you can watch my first episode and then watch my latest and you're like whoa this this dude like grew hair and hit puberty and <laughs> stuff like that because uh, i i look like a 12 year old in my first video but uh yeah i i loved uh the show icons which was on g4 slash tech tv or you know, it, that that channel went through a lot of name changes, but uh, it was just like stories about the video game industry. Um, the issue was I never knew what time the show came on because they kind of rotated the schedule all the time, and so I went online to see. Well, maybe I can find some some videos online because it was just so interesting to me. And there really wasn't anything. I think Game Trailers had like a retrospective series, yeah, um, which so, was yeah, good. Ga- yeah, Game Trailers started to do stuff like covering the history of like a series. Like I remember their Kingdom Hearts one was one of the most popular ones at the time. But even that wasn't right. that long ago. I think you probably started your channel before they even did that. You know, I, the the timeline is muddled a little for me. Um, but 
yeah, I, I just I I remember there wasn't a lot of video content about the history of video games, so that's when I had the light bulb moment. Well, maybe I can take up this endeavor and do this because you know, obviously, I have a huge passion for history. I have a huge passion for video games, and I also really like documentaries. So, like, this was just another new hobby or project for me to get into, like filmmaking and video making and editing. So, yeah, I took a shot at it, and it paid off. <laughs> I I guess so. I mean, obviously, um, one of one of my big influences was the Angry Video Game Nerd. I feel like a lot of video producers kind of started with him because his videos were just so entertaining. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can credit him a lot with, like, kind of reviving the interest in, like, retro games because people would watch his videos and say, oh, I remember this game. Yeah, it wasn't very good at all. Blah, blah. I was so frustrated when I played it as a kid. And then they go out and, like, try to find that game again and play it and relive their childhood. Yeah. Um, there seems to be, like, two branching pan- paths of what James did, which is... Like we had all the the kind of older guys who were like, oh, hey, this kind of young guy is talking about games that we played when we were younger. And then we had like a whole bunch of retro channels come out like the Happy Console Gamer and uh, GameSack and all those guys. And then he also inspired like a new generation of the current wave of YouTubers, you know. I hate to say his name now, but like JonTron and those types of people um, (laughs) who did more sort of not older games but older games to them like maybe gamecube games or playstation 2 games and that kind of thing and there was like a split between that thanks to what james was doing yeah i i always say it can't be overstated his uh impact and contributions to to this whole community like it, it's it's incredible and my my favorite part of his videos was always when he talked about he he got into a little bit of history with his videos, like when he talked about like like the Sega 32X. He would go on about like why Sega decided to make the 32X, and that was always the most interesting part of his videos to me. And I was like, oh, talk more about that. But then he'd get into like all the cursing and poop jokes and whatnot. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then it was just like a light bulb moment. And um, why did you decide to do the NES to top loader first? It's it goes back to angry video game nerd. I in his comments, you know, he in his comment sections, uh, James would would film on a top loader a lot. Like he'd show footage of him putting a game in a top loader and playing the game. And the comment section was just filled with people asking, "What console is this? I've never seen this before." So that was when I was like, "Okay, I'm going to tell people what this console is and why Nintendo decided to redesign the NES and kind of just tell people all about it because I had one." So that was the inspiration for the first episode. (laughs) This is a very simple way to do it. Yeah. (laughs) um, So having gone since then and made many, many episodes now, what Mm -hmm. is sort of the uh, process about deciding what the next episode is going to be then from from now? You know, I... (laughs) I always get advice from people like, oh, you know, this this game's anniversary is coming up. You should do a a retrospective on this series. Or, um, you know, this game's getting a re-release. You should do an episode on it. But uh, I think if I was smarter, I would do that. But uh, honestly, I just pick topics that I'll just randomly come across, and I'm like, wow, that sounds really interesting. I think I'll look more into this. Uh, Or I'll try to pick a topic that 
like maybe a game franchise that I really liked as a kid. And sometimes I'll look at these topics and I'll look more into them and I'll realize, okay, there's really not enough information for me to make a video on. So I've had to scrap a lot of topic ideas. Um, but another good source for topics is I have a Patreon and my patrons can vote on topics or they'll suggest topics to me. Uh, so that's another great source. You know, and I get tons of emails from from viewers that want me to talk about certain things. So there's no shortage of things to talk about. How difficult is it getting hold of equipment for an episode? Because some of the stuff you talk about is is pretty rad. Like I, I note, like some of the you know the like TV console mm-hmm. tie-ins, um, stuff like that. Is it? Uh, and most of them come or are exclusive to Japan, which means I can go get them quite easily. Yeah. But for you, I imagine it's pretty difficult. Um, <laughs> is it? Is it sometimes difficult? Have you had like a situation where you're waiting on something to come from Japan to like start an episode and you just can't do it yet because it's taking ages or it's really expensive or rare or that kind of thing? Yeah, sometimes I'll I'll have to wait for something to come in on eBay, but I do have um, I do have an amazing resource in that um, I made connections with about three different collectors in my area they actually read one collector reached out to me and said hey i really like your videos i live locally if you ever need to borrow anything let me know and so through him i met other collectors and we've all become good friends now and so if i need something kind of obscure or rare i'll text all of them and say hey do you guys have this and usually they do and they'll say, yeah, I have it. Come on over and grab it. And I'll just go over and grab it and I can research it and use it in the episode. And then I just give it back to them. Uh, <laughs> it's very so handy. It's, <laughs> it's a, it's like a library, you know, I can go to the library and pick out something and do an episode on it. It's, it is very handy because I have a small house, so I can't like keep a, I can't stack my house full of games and consoles or, you know, my wife would get a little upset about that. So. <laughs> but it's always cool to uh, get those things in and like check them out and be like wow this is a piece that not really many people have had or have ever seen um right which and, i get and, a massive kick out of and what what's great is they'll you know these collector buddies of mine will just text me every now and then when they get something new and they're like hey check this out like um one of them sent me a picture of what's called a hot seat so it was a an NES controller that was built into like an actual like seat and you like <laughs> played played the game by sitting in it and like moving the seat around and it had controls on the armrests. It's it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen, but he has one, so maybe I'll do an episode on that. What is the oh, what was the episode you did on oh, I think you did an episode on like the Sharp Twin Famicom console i i've mentioned it in a few episodes. Oh, okay because um, I, I, I especially went... in the uh the famicom discs the famicom disc system episode i mentioned the sharp twin famicom because um, i went out and bought one after listening to you talk about it because i found one in like a secondhand store here in japan and i was like okay this thing looks like a beast and i've just never seen one before and it's an absolutely huge piece and i was Mm -hmm. like hmm norman's mentioned this and uh (laughs) it seems pretty rare and the price is pretty good but i've never 
I've never turned it on. I haven't turned it on once, so I don't He's, even know if it works. You scared to press the button, it might explode. I, yeah, kind <laughs> of, kind of. Um, I'm a bit nervous about <laughs> some stuff like that. But it's Japan, so usually, the, you know, they look after things and the quality's pretty good. Um, so maybe I should give it a whirl and uh maybe make a little video about it <laughs> yeah it's 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 uh the sharp twin famicom was it's so convenient to have all of that built into one system mm-hmm. and you you being in japan uh i'm sure getting one of those is not only easier but much cheaper than yes uh, someone importing it from the united states yeah definitely um i think the i was in osaka last weekend with uh super bunny hop um, George from Super Bunny Hop. And oh we, yeah, we were browsing Super Potato in Osaka, and I think they had like six of them stacked on top of each other, and the prices were very reasonable to say the least. Um, but that's just Japan's gaming stores for you. They are the stuff of legends and continue to be to this day. Um, yeah. But Norman, we are here to talk about games that you like and games that you have actually chosen to be taken with you to a deserted island, um, which I'm very sorry to tell you is the place you're going to be going and staying for the rest of your life. So I do okay. apologize about that. Um, one thing I did want to ask just before we moved on about games, and uh, okay. especially considering we're talking about games in a very opinion-based way about emotions and such today, um, as someone who does like YouTube and YouTube being this... It's pretty much the the biggest influence on the games industry other than people who make games mm-hmm. um have you ever had the um sort of desire or maybe this sort of itch to move into a more opinion-based space or are you happy where you are uh <laughs> that's that's a good question i'm i'm very happy with where i am um just because uh I, I, still today, not many people do, you know, the history of games, like video stuff. There's there's definitely more today than there was when I started. But, uh, you know, people giving their opinions of games is uh, very popular on YouTube. And there's a lot of it. And I feel like it's a uh, it's a very crowded space. And I also feel like not no one wants to hear what I think of games. And that's probably my own... Uh, self doubt and low self esteem showing, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure there yeah. are. I'm sure there are definitely some people out there. I think you know, doing streams and stuff. I think that is a really good way because the people who do want to hear you talk about games are the people who are going to come and watch streams. I guess like people who watch the gaming historian and are like, I want to know. I want to know what Norman thinks of Mario Three or something like that. Yeah, and actually. Um... What's great about streaming, and which is why I want to do more streams, is not only do they get my opinion on games, but they kind of get to know me more personally. Because when I'm on Gaming Historian, uh, I it's you know it's very professional. Uh, you know, here's the information about the game. Here's what you need to know. And I don't I I don't let my personality show a lot in those videos. So being able to stream, I get to have a little more fun. That sounds great. And then. Are you? Is this something you're planning on maybe doing a little bit more, like having a schedule and that kind of thing? Yeah, I'm starting out with uh, once a week um, on Tuesdays, and if I can if I can do that consistently, then I'll maybe I'll do it two days a week. Uh, because I I just last week I was just like sitting around like reading a book and at night, and I was like I could be like streaming right now. Why am I not? 
why am I not doing this? You know, another light bulb moment. <laughs> another, another light bulb moment because it, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna like interrupt my my work with gaming historian. It's just something extra and fun I can do on the side. Yeah, if you're playing games, why not play games and other people watch at the same time? I sure. totally understand. Um, but speaking of games, yes, we are here to talk about eight games that you have chosen. And yes. uh, it's quite an eclectic and wonderful list of games that I, I'm very, very excited to talk about. So let's just dive straight into the first game and let's listen to some music from it, which is some excellent, excellent music. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a great soundtrack. Um, so let's listen to this music. Let's dive straight into Norman's final games. So kicking off Norman's list this week, we are first looking at a game full of violence, full of killing, full of blood, full of wonderful pixel graphic goodness. Uh, this game is so great. I love this game very much. It was developed by Denation Games and uh, published by the wonderful Devolver Digital. It was designed by Joe Hunton Sodstrom and Dennis Whedon. It was made in Game Maker, and I think this is kind of one of the first games that came out uh, where people were like, "Hey, look at the look at the stuff you can do with this engine." And um, since then, we've seen games like Undertale come out through Game Maker. Such a great platform. It's been released across multiple platforms. Uh, it first being released back in 2012. Wow, to think this game came out nearly five years ago uh, in October on the PC, but has had a PS3, a PlayStation Vita, and a PlayStation 4 port since. It's the top-down single-player shooter i guess you would call it a shooter although there are mm-hmm. multiple weapons in this game um the wonderful hotline miami norman yes. please tell me why the first game that is on your final games list is hotline miami hotline miami is one of the most satisfying games i've ever played um i could not stop playing it and it's one of those games that you know i'm heavily involved in the retro community and so for the retro community to talk about a modern game so much, I was like, okay, I need to check this game out because a lot of my friends on Twitter were like, oh my God, I love Hotline Miami. Uh, I can't stop playing it. So this was actually in around, I first played it, I think 2013, and I had just built a brand new computer with like the latest processor and graphics card and tons of RAM and the first game I bought and played on this really nice computer <laughs> was Hotline Miami, which probably it's which is not a big system hog, by the way. It's you don't need a lot to play this game, um, but it's not only is it visually 
amazing uh, just with the pixel graphics and whatnot, but it's one of those games that, I don't know, it makes you feel like a superhero in a weird way because it's just so cool. Like, you quickly pick up weapons, you're ducking around corners, you're you're moving really quickly, the levels aren't super big, so there's tight spaces, you know, there's so much blood and violence, and I'm not saying those are great things, but when you when you hear about the plot and just the 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 style of the game, it makes sense. It's very visceral, but like not in a I mean it is kind of grotesque, but because of the way the graphical style is, it's more flashy and artistic than it is anything gory and horror horrific. Um, right. And I get the kind of superhero thing that you're talking about because even in this game like you move so quickly, you th- even when you like throw weapons like I, one thing i love about hotline miami is like throwing weapons because mm-hmm. they just speed across the ground and they just like whack people in the face and then you like pull out another weapon and you just like start firing it's like so rapid and so quick um but even dying in this game you press one button uh and you instantly uh are like revived it's like you you yes even death can't stop you in this game and although you do die you know you you just keep coming back you are essentially immortal and uh, i i definitely get that superhero thing that you're going for yeah it's very it's very fast-paced and that's a great point where you press one button and you're back in the action because you know a lot of games when you die they do the dramatic you have died and you have to load the game again and it takes forever (laughs) and it's so frustrating to die in some games but not in hotline miami because again you press one button and it's like instantly you're you're back in the game and the game rewards you for doing stylish kills killing people very quickly you know it encourages you to pull off combos uh so yeah just one of the most satisfying games i've ever played and i every and the reason i i chose it for my final games is because i still play it to this day every few months i will play hotline miami hotline miami completely through because it's I've gotten really good at it and I can just like run through the game and it's just so satisfying. It gives me a good feeling when I play. I mean, that's all you can really ask for from a video game. That's exactly what video games are made for. Um, I think hotline Miami is one of those sort of special games where um, it's way more than the sum of its parts. It Mm -hmm. is kind of basic. Um, It was made in game maker. It, features a sort of lower down art style and a simpler but that benefits the gameplay way more everything is very clear um you can see everything um but it is way more than some of the parts and the and the the whole way the story is presented usually you think like a story in this type of game would be pointless um Mm -hmm. or it maybe would get in the way of the fun that you're having Mm -hmm. but the way it's presented in Hotline Miami, how stylistic it is, and also how kind of creepy and mysterious it is. Um, yes. And I definitely I, keeps you enticed until the end. I definitely want to talk about the plot and how weird and mysterious it is. And one thing I want to mention is when you're actually playing the levels, you've got this like upbeat, like music going, like it makes your heart pound, you know, uh, kind of like 80s style, like bass bass drum going as you're doing all this killing but when you finish the level the music cuts and this like ominous mysterious music plays and you have to walk back to your car 
which, you know, you begin the level getting out of your car every time. And you have to walk back to your car when you finish level. And you have to listen to this music. And you have to walk through all of the dead bodies. And it's just very creepy and, and yeah. mysterious. And I thought that was brilliant that they did that. Because you start to question, like, what what did I just do? Why am I doing this? And that ties into the plot, of course. It's... And it is... And, it, and the way it sort of piecemeal gives it to you in that weird way after each sort of episode or not episode well level i guess um yeah. keeps keeps you going as well as the gameplay it, it's one of the times when uh, that i could one of the only times i can remember when a game has want me has want me to keep playing um because the gameplay is so sort of moorish but then mm-hmm. also like the little tidbits that the story is giving me as well i'm like oh my god like this is uh, so weird and mysterious. I just, I just want to know more, and it gives you like a tiny bit at a time, and you're like, okay, I need to keep going because I need to keep knowing, knowing more about the story as well. Um, all around, just a really good game. Um, but it is a game with an ending, and it is a game um, that has the story. Um, but it, mm-hmm. but do you think it's a game that's replayable for a deserted island? I mean, there are so many ways to approach each level. But it isn't randomly generated, and it isn't endless. Right. Uh, for me personally, it's great for my deserted island because, like I said, I, I've i been playing it multiple times a year since I got it in 2013. Uh, like I said, I just I love running through the game, and I just know if I'm on that deserted island, I'm going to get an itch to play a game like that again. Uh, and again, just how satisfying the game is. It's It's a good game to take frustrations out on because of how satisfying it is. Um, Someone, someone's going to clip that one day of you sure. talking about such a game in such a way. <laughs> it's going to be like, this is where he went downhill. <laughs> this is where he lost his mind. Um, but the, the other thing I wanted to mention was sometimes I'll give myself you know, some challenges in the game because, as you know, in the game, you play as a character that wears masks, and these masks give you different abilities. And so I'll say, okay, I'm going to run through the game wearing the, you know, the owl mask, or I'm going to run through the game wearing only the dog mask. You know, like if you wear the dog mask, uh, the guard dogs don't attack you, like because all the masks have different abilities. So, you know, I'll, I'll give myself challenges like that to keep the game fresh. But like I said, it's uh, it's just such a satisfying game that I can play it over and over and over and not get bored with it. So then, tell me. Now we are sort of ready to, you know, put it as part of the list. Um, but which way do you like playing? Do you like playing with the mouse and keyboard? Or do you like playing with the controller? Um, I remember the first time I played it was on the PC and the controls mm-hmm. were perfect. And then the second time I played it was on the PlayStation Vita. And I thought that would be a downgrade. But actually, I thought it was really fun uh, as a handheld game too um yeah. which is your preferred method of playing considering you set yourself all these challenges as well i imagine <laughs> you want the optimal version yeah uh mouse and keyboard for me and i think they nailed the controls they are perfect i've never blamed a death in that game because of the controls um it's usually your own fault if you die in the game so that's yeah, mouse, and, ke- mouse yeah. and keyboard for me fair enough well I think that that's. Is there any more you would like to say? But it feels like you have a lot more to say about. I, I do. I, I love this game so do. much. <laughs> is there anything uh, specifically that you think maybe some people miss about Hotline Miami? Um, 
the people just take it as a good game. Do you think there is a little more to it than that? Gosh, I I I don't know. It's I I do want to say just like the the visual style of the game is just so good and the music is incredible and I think that's true. Um I think that game is really known for its music. Like I mean they I think they put out a vinyl of the soundtrack and yep. it kind of it kind of revitalized and made more popular kind of like the like 80s style vaporwave music genre because I'm seeing it a lot more today. Uh, and I think Hotline Miami definitely helped popularize it more. Um, but I do want to mention uh, a lot of people ask me about Hotline Miami 2, which is the sequel, obviously. Yeah, wrong, wrong number. Wrong number. Yeah. Hotline Miami 2, wrong number. And I will say it's not as good as the original. And that's why I chose the original. Uh, I, I could go on and on about why Hotline Miami 2 isn't as good, but. Uh, I'll leave it at, you should play the original, it's the best one, and uh, I think anyone who hasn't played it should pick it up and play it. It's probably like, what, $9, $9, $9 $10? Not even that. It's so yeah. cheap now. You can um, you can get it. Um, one thing I did want to say about the soundtrack, and there was something I specifically remembered about it, was um, they released the vinyl and stuff, but you could also purchase... Uh, the soundtrack online i think you could get it even through steam um mm -hmm. but it was awesome because they also put hid like the music files in the game folder mm -hmm. um for you to just download anyway and have for free yeah so <laughs> they they gave you the free one as well and offered their the uh a way for you to buy it um i always thought that was really funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is yeah, the kind of thing that those kind of indie developers do because i've heard that the guys who make hotline miami kind of crazy dudes it, I, i've heard that as well and um it's interesting that they actually promoted piracy of this game like i guess i don't i it might have been hotline miami too but australia like was kind of iffy on hotline miami too and uh I believe the developer said, hey, if you can't buy it in Australia, just pirate it. So, like, you don't hear that very often from an indie developer because I think they rely on sales more than, you know, these AAA games. Well, you think if you were creating a game and they couldn't buy it, would you just want them... You'd, you'd want them to still play it, wouldn't you? So... Yeah, I and guess... I, I, I think his mindset was, hey, play it and you'll love it so much, you'll You'll, you'll donate you'll, money to us or something. You'll, you'll pay us back somehow. <laughs> you'll buy it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, I think we're going to move on now. Um, I think we have essentially decided subconsciously here that one of the next games you have to stream is going to be Hotline Miami. Because I think, especially anyone who's listening to this now, myself included, I think we want to hear more of your thoughts on Hotline Miami. So I think you're going to have to at some point have a maybe a full playthrough of Hotline Miami considering you're good at the game. You know, um, that, that is, that, that's no problem it. at all. That's For you, Liam, I will do that. I will stream Hotline Miami. That would be Excellent. a pleasure. 
for me. <laughs> well, then there we go. We can schedule in uh, a stream of you playing Hotline Miami and also your your thoughts of all the different aspects of it as well. So this yeah. is kind of a small introduction to what is going to come. <laughs> yep, exactly. But we're going to move on to the we're going to move on to the next game now. Um, we're going to listen to some music from this next game, and it's really funny because a couple of weeks ago I was complaining that no one had ever chosen this series and um <laughs> since i complained like everything in life um it came not once not twice but now three times and i'm very happy uh it's not a complaint because this is such an excellent series that i could talk about for a very long time as well so yep. why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it So, Norman, before we talk about this next game on your list, uh, we have to talk about the deserted place in which we are going to be sending you. It's not just some random island. It's not a final game specific island where every single games journalist, games developer, YouTuber, uh, voice actor that we've had on the show is just sort of milling around all together playing these weird and wonderful games they all have, which would be kind of nice, though, when you think about it, like everyone mm -hmm. sharing their eight games together. But then yeah. that kind of defeats the object. It'll get to a point where there'll be so many games on the island, it'll just be every game ever. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. Eventually. Um, but we do allow you to choose a place from video games um, that you wouldn't mind spending the rest of your days playing these eight games. Um, you know, it can be from any game. But the rule is that there is no human NPC type characters, no one who can sort of help you out. Um, but if it's a place that has like monsters that, you know, um, want to cause you harm or and stuff like that, they will be there. So you have to choose wisely. Um, is there a place that comes to mind immediately in your head uh, that you think, hey, that'd be a cool place to spend the rest of my life? Well, if it's if it's an island, I guess I would expect it to be tropical. Uh, yes. I would like nice weather. I don't want a lot of enemies running around, so I can kind of just enjoy myself. Um, I you know uh, the island of Delfino from Mario Sunshine seems like a good choice. I think everyone that seems kind does. of kind of friendly there. So. <laughs> so would you would you like to be sent there, or is there another place that you have? Let, let's let's go to Delfino. That was my first thought. So, we'll go Delfino, yeah. um, with or without all the creepy, horrible paint. <laughs> uh, you know, without 
let's go without the thing. <laughs> this is probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want any, any shenanigans while I'm deserted here. So <laughs> now, wait. The, I I do have to ask though. Delfino Sunshine or Delfino Mario Kart? Um, let's Delfino Sunshine. Okay, because yeah. the Mario Kart one's a bit bigger. I, it is. Well, yeah. And also, we can give you a cart so you can drive around if you'd like. You know, if if I'm on a, uh, an island, you know, I don't think I'm going to need that cart for much. So, and oh, like, where am I going to get gas to power the cart? Like, what's it powered with? So, <laughs> has anyone who's played Mario Kart ever worried about the gas? I think, I think, I think we can, I think we can fudge the gas somehow. <laughs> that, that could that could be a new feature in future Mario Karts. You know, add a gas feature where you have to like run over. <laughs> You have to run over or stop, make pit stop to refuel your cart. <laughs> that would be kind of cool because uh, I don't know if you have a Nintendo Switch or if anyone who's listening, um, there is a game called Fast RMX, which is kind of like a, a F-Zero spiritual successor. Um, yeah. But they have a really cool um, sort of dynamic to that game where you have to change your sort of boost color to sort of go along certain boost pads. Mm-hmm. I think maybe if you had like strips in Mario Kart similar to that and you had to maybe like... I don't know, press a button to like open your petrol cap or something. And uh, as you then <laughs> slide over this boost, uh, this long strip of pad, you like refuel your car and maybe it goes a little faster for a short period of time or something. Yeah, that, that was my thought. Like you, you your car yeah. won't just like stop because that would be ridiculous. <laughs> but I, I figure if you have more gas, maybe you could go a little faster. Maybe instead of like collecting coins, you stop for gas. Yeah. That was, yeah. Thought. Because because Mario Eight has the coin system as well. Um, yeah, and it gives I think you it like I think it like accelerates you a little more. Yeah, it gives you a boost after you yeah. get. I think it's like ten h ten or and you get faster periodically over time. Yeah. Um, but we are going to send you to Delfino then. Uh, we're okay. going to send you to the Delfino Island, a wonderful island, um, with such wonderful music as well. Um, yeah. But the next game that you're going to be playing on this island is the aforementioned game I said that I'd complained about um, a lot. It's a wonderful turn-based tactics video game that was developed for the Game Boy Advance by one of my favorite developers, Intelligent Systems. Uh, The guy's responsible also for the Fire Emblem series. It released all the way back in September of 2001. In fact, actually one day before September the 11th on September 10th, which... um, isn't, I imagine how many people queued up for that and then maybe didn't want to play it after that. Um, yeah. But yeah. It released a year later in Europe, which is very early days. We were the, always the, the worst region to receive games. We never even received Chrono Trigger in Europe. That's how poor we were back then. Um, but it mm-hmm. is a wonderful game that is called Advance Wars. Norman, please tell me why the next game you're going to be taking with you is Advance Wars. I have um, wonderful memories with this game, for one. And two, it is one of the most addicting strategy games I've ever played. And it's it's a game that kind of got me into strategy games because I think before this game, I would have never played a strategy game. And what's interesting is I bought it based on the cover alone. I thought it had a cool cover art when I was a kid. I was like, oh, so this like game the, looks cool. The, the tank with the, all the guys <laughs> mm-hmm. hanging out at the top of the tank. and It was a yeah. brightly colored orange tank, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So and when I popped it in, I was like, oh, it's a strategy game. But 
it's um it's a strategy game that's easy to learn and difficult to master. So it's much it's much uh, deeper than uh, it seems. So like uh, you know it's if if anyone has played Fire Emblem, it's basically the same as Fire Emblem, but without so much RPG elements and characters. You know, you control an army with tanks, soldiers, planes, ships, and you can use terrain to your advantage. Uh, there's artillery, there's weather that can affect how you move. Uh, so just just a super addicting strategy game that I, as a kid, I remember we went on a trip to Florida, and Florida is, you know, full of beaches and sunshine, and you would think I would spend time on the beach, but no, I s- sat inside and played Advance Wars the entire time. So... Uh, because it's such an addicting, not only addicting, but handheld as well, that is why I would choose this game for my final games. And so from then, you said you never sort of got into strategy games. What had right. always been holding you back? Because even Advance Wars looks very friendly, and I think people mistake it for maybe a childlike game, mm-hmm. but that game is tough. And that it game very requires hard. strategy. Um, so what was it about? I I, I mean, hmm, you said that uh, it looked appealing from the cover and stuff, and I imagine the art drew you in more as you played that game and you realized yeah. it was a tactics game. Um, why had you not sort of played turn-based strategy before then? Um, I, I had a, I guess, a preconceived notion that they were boring or it, maybe it was I was kind of intimidated to play them. Um, I, I had played, um, JRPGs, uh, which overall aren't super intimidating. You know, I think that's one of the appealing parts of JRPGs is they're, they're, you know, a more simple RPG than say like a, you know, a Western RPG like Fallout or something. Yeah. Um, so I had played those, but I had never gotten into like the tactics style games or strategy games. So... This was this is almost like a uh a, like in the style of a JRPG, but uh, it's 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 a much more simple strategy game on the cover anyway, uh than than I I had in my head of what a strategy game was. If that makes sense. Yeah. So when you started playing the game then, and you realized it was a turn-based tactics game, mm-hmm. um. What made you stick with it? Were you initially like, oh, I've made a mistake. Um, oh, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I thought it was more of an RPG. Um, did you have that feeling? Or were you like, wow, this is really good. Why have I never played a game like this before? Yeah, it was an instant feeling of, wow, this is awesome. And the game does a good job of you have to do all the tutorial stages before you play the campaign. And so it teaches you everything about the game before you kind of get your feet wet um and really really easy tutorial missions so you feel good playing it because you're you're beating beating the other army so easily and you're like yeah i can do this strategy's not that bad uh so it, it was kind of an instant for me anyway uh that i really really like this game that's great it's such a good series as well um but one thing that has happened while i've spoken to the the previous guests who have chosen this game um is they sort of dropped off as the series went on 
Um, whereas I'm someone who I have high opinions of the DS versions as well. Even uh, like yeah. the the uh, is it like uh, it's got a different name in America? Advance Ruin, Days of Ruin. And days, days of Ruin and uh, Dual Strike. Dual Strike. Dual, Dual Strike was the first DS wasn't uh, game, wasn't it? And then right. uh, Days of Ruin had a different name in Europe. I forget what it's called. Um, but a lot of the uh, guests who have chosen Advance Wars sort of never either touched those games or they touched Dual Strike <laughs> and then didn't like Days of Ruin. Uh, are you someone who's played the DS games and liked them? Or have you also felt that the series has maybe dropped off a little? Uh, I, I would say it's, it's dropped off a little. Um, I have played all of them, uh, but my favorite is still the first one. And that's probably maybe some nostalgia coming into play, uh, just cause I, I am so fond of the first one. Um, but what's, what's great about this series is this Advance Wars was just the first one that North America got. I mean, the war series has been going on since the eighties, I think. Um, and what's great is is it uh the first game was Famicom Wars and it was originally just a prototype for Fire Emblem so they built the game engine and they wanted to make Fire Emblem but they kind of wanted to test the engine out first so they made a basic strategy game and that's where Famicom Wars came from and now yeah. it's this whole series that I like more than Fire Emblem. Uh, <laughs> so you know it it's it's a shame that they haven't you know, Fire Emblem is huge now. They keep putting out Fire Emblem games. I'm like, what about the War series? Yeah, it's, it's really, so good. <laughs> that's another thing that's come up with the guests I've spoken about about Advance Wars is that they have maybe lesser opinions of Fire Emblem um, than Advance Wars. I don't know mm-hmm. specifically why. I mean, I'm a fan of Fire. I'm a, actually a huge fan of Fire Emblem, um, but I love the Advance Wars games. Um, but you are right. The Famicom Wars did start as a sort of prototype towards the Fire Emblem series, and then the Fire Emblem series sort of, I don't know, was middling for a long mm-hmm. time around the time that Advance Wars was really kicking off with, you know, Advance Wars, Advance Wars 2. Um, but then Fire Emblem with Awakening just boosting popularity. Yeah. Um, we did see Advance Wars sort of have another spin-off in Battalion Wars, which I think was on the, yeah. the, the GameCube initially. Um, did you play that at all? A little bit, and you know, it's not a strategy game in the traditional sense. I, you know, It's got some third-person action in there, too. I didn't play too much of it. Uh, it. It just doesn't feel like a Wars game to me. Yeah, I think there's one on the Wii as well. Yeah, the, they made a Battalion Wars too. Yes, they, the second one was Battalion Wars too, um, mm-hmm. and, and it's funny because we kind of had this, this conversation before, and I think the the big question when it comes to Advance Wars is, are you gonna are you gonna see it again? Are you, are you ever gonna see it again? Oh, I I I hope and pray we do. I I really don't think we will. Unfortunately, uh, I think because of Fire Emblem taking off, and it's a shame because you know Fire Emblem's good, but it, I, I like the War series more, and I think it's more because it feels, uh, it feels like more of a grand strategy than Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem has all the individual characters with their attributes and you know all these abilities, but Advanced Wars, it's just you have a bunch of like common soldiers with tanks and artillery. It's like there's nothing like. 
a lot of your units, there's nothing, you, you can't like give them each unit like a super ability in Advance Wars. It's like, take these infantrymen and put them in the mountains and you'll have a, a tactical advantage over infantrymen that are on the ground. You know, it, it's more basic, but it feels, I don't know, deeper strategy-wise. Uh that's interesting because I think some people think because of the individual decisions that you have to make with each specific character in Fire Emblem is almost more important than the decisions you have to make in Advance Wars. Um, it is, and I, and maybe can... it's there's more of a role playing aspect in Fire Emblem that I I I don't like in a strategy game. Okay, do you not like be. Do you like being the general who can just like send waves of units and not have any personal attachment to them? Are you like yeah, that? yeah, that that is what I like. That is what I like in a strategy game. <laughs> just sending waves of waves of units to their deaths in brightly colored sprites. Yeah. And 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 it's it's funny. Like yeah, the, uh, some some will die, but um, you know, I try to keep as many of my troops alive as possible. And I, that's like an obvious duh answer, but like. Uh, I'm sometimes I'm very conservative when I play Advance Wars because I want to save everybody. Um, but yeah, I it, it's weird that people that really like Advance Wars usually like the War series more than Fire Emblem. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Maybe uh, maybe it's the same reason that I have. It's just like maybe I said, because you, although... like you like being that general and you like commanding yeah. all these troops. Maybe because Fire Emblem appeals more as an RPG than it does an overall it strategy does. game, then Advance Wars appeals as more as a tactics-based game. Yeah, and and with Fire Emblem, there's more of a story, and you do get involved with the characters more. Whereas Advance Wars is like, okay, here's another battle, let's fight, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it, let's move on. All units forward, all yeah. waves of enemies die. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, Advance Wars is also going to be with you to take alongside, um, you know, Hotline Miami. You can. Uh, I'm I'm seeing a running theme of death here. Um, Please don't look look too much into death. <laughs> I <laughs> I'm not crazy. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's what they said. That's what he said before he went crazy. <laughs> That's what the papers will report. Um, you know. But- you know. Another another thing I want to mention about Advance Wars is, as a history buff, uh, I've studied a lot about war. Uh, the American Civil War, World War One, World War Two, and so I have an interest in, you know, war history. Advance Wars, you're kind of playing out a war, uh, on, and you kind of feel like a general. So maybe there's like a, maybe that's why I have a, a big that, interest in it yeah, as well. Something that hits it hits the, a spot for you, maybe. Um, yeah, that's one thing I did want to ask you actually is, as someone who studied history. Um, do you have a natural draw to historical type games? I mean, we're going to talk a little bit in a game that comes up a little later that I want to ask you <laughs> a bit more about. Um, yeah. But just in general, I mean, obviously, Advance Wars is a fictional, completely yes. made up war, um, but yeah. it does have you know <laughs> units and stuff that are based off um, uh, units that may have existed in real life or in different mm-hmm. wars and stuff like that. Do you have a yeah. natural draw to stuff like that? Or is it just coincidental that you enjoyed advanced wars? No, I, I definitely do have a, a draw to games like that. 
Um, games based on history, I absolutely love, and I, I, I'm always seeking out more games like that. And like you said, Advance Wars is not based on anything that actually happened. No, but like <laughs> some of the, some of the, all, all of the armies in the game are unique. Like they have different uniforms, and some of the equipment is different, and the colors are different, and you can definitely see some inspiration from real life armies in Advance Wars. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think I have a a natural draw to games like that. Is it difficult sometimes being the gaming historian and the only history you get to talk about is video game history? Do you, do yes. you, str- do you struggle not being able to talk about the stuff you studied? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, as much as I love video game history, um, video game history is in the grand scheme of things, it's relatively <laughs> it's small. So- it's so new. It's yeah, it's very new. I think uh, you know what, fifty years. Uh, uh, yeah, it's not very to, old. I mean, the history of uh, you know, of Europe is thousands and thousands of years, or Rome, or you know, even the United States is considered a very, very short history, and the United States has been around for over two hundred years. So, yeah, I I've wanted to start maybe another YouTube channel about like U.S. history, because that's kind of what my focus was in college, specifically like the American Civil War. Uh, But that's like a pet pet project for the future. But yeah, I'd love to dive into the stuff I actually studied. Well, then people will await in eager anticipation to hear you compare Advance Wars units to real life units. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, maybe I'll, I could I could pitch it to to Game Theory. I could say, hey, I think, I think these armies are based on real real armies, and here's why. <laughs> Matt Pat will lap that up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to your next game now, and um, I, I depending on how you take it, there is not so much death in this game um pretty much not at all unless you think stomping upon goomba's heads is death um or it's some sort of horrific act of mario (laughs) but i think we're playing it a little safe here it's a bit more safer than the uh the previous two but we are going to listen to some truly wonderful music from this next game and we're going to dive straight into it So, on Final Games, we obviously talk a lot about Mario games. It's kind of unavoidable. We all sort of love Mario, and we have over the years. And games like Super Mario World, even Super Mario Bros. 3, uh, Super Mario Galaxy, all appear quite frequently. But the next game on Norman's list is 
although one of the most revolutionary games of all time, it uh, doesn't feature very heavily uh, throughout Final Games' history, and I'm interested to know why Norman has chosen it. It's a game that was developed, of course, by Nintendo's EAD team and directed by the one and only Shigeru Miyamoto and Takeshi Tezuka, as well as Yoshiaki Koizumi, who you might know as sort of the face of the Nintendo Switch. He's the guy who was in all the sort of promotional stuff for the HD Rumble, and he was, like, shaking a glass of ice cubes around and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Sort of the new face of uh, Nintendo's development. But he was one of the directors all the way back on this game as well, with music composed by Koji Kondo as well. It's released for the Nintendo 64 back in June of 1996 in Japan, September in North America of 1996, and then all the way in March of 1997 in the EU. It was... What is wrong with Europe and their terrible, terrible launch? (laughs) Imagine waiting for this... Imagine having to wait for this game, knowing everyone else was playing it. It is, of course, the platform 3D video game, Super Mario 64. Norman... Please tell me why the next game you're going to be taking with you is Super Mario 64. It is, um, to this day, the gold standard of what a 3D platformer should be. And it came out 20 years ago. And it's still, people still want a true sequel to it. And I, I... I could gush about this game for a long time. I, I, it blows my mind this was a launch title. Like, that's insane. And it's like the best <laughs> game on the 64. And it was like the first game that came out for the system. Um, it inspired an entire genre. It has been imitated endless times, but it has never been replicated. Um, the Some of the tightest controls I have ever played on a game, and it makes it's one of the best aspects of the game, like being able to control Mario that well and just all the crazy acrobatic things you can do in the game um and of course like me growing up with this game i have wonderful memories of it and it's one of those platformers you just you like i'll see the cartridge on my shelf and i'll just say oh man that game's so much fun i think i want to i think i want to play it again so that's that's why i chose this game and i've had a lot of discussions about like what's the best platformer on the nintendo 64 and it's either for me it's Super Mario 64 or Banjo Kazooie and uh i it was a hard choice because i love both games but i think this game is more important overall and obviously Banjo Kazooie was uh inspired by Super Mario 64 so i think this is why it made my list that is a very good reason and consider <laughs> I mean, not only did it inspire Banjo-Kazooie, but it, pretty much every preceding game that came afterwards that used 3D. And um, yeah. so many games were inspired by this game. And mm-hmm. it is... Uh, and I do... It does surprise me that it doesn't appear on more people's lists, but it is a game that, especially when I think of Super Mario 64, I'm kind of at peace with not playing it anymore. I've mm. played it so much. And um, although for a game at that time, it was how many stars, 120 stars, uh, all of the different levels and all the different stars in each level. And uh, it seemed endless at the time, Um, but it it is really expensive, but it definitely has a definitive. And again, like Hotline Miami, um, is this something that you just think 
as you said, you can just pick up the cartridge and just have fun. Is it more just a mechanically driven choice where I just want to feel this game again? I just want to pick yeah. it up, play, and remind myself of what well Nintendo can do. Yeah, it's it, just the experience of playing the game, but it also brings back a flood of memories for me. Like growing up, uh, my my best friend who lived across the street from me, he had the Nintendo 64. I didn't actually have the 64. So he got the 64 for Christmas, and he got Super Mario 64 with it, and we must have played this game the entire year because we wanted to get every star. There's 120 of them, and uh, it was just such an adventure playing through this game and the mystery of what's going to happen when you get all the stars. Um, so it it's not only, like you said, the experience of playing, which I do play this game uh, every now and then. You know, Like I said, I'll see it on the shelf and be like, oh, I want to play that game again. But uh, just the memories I have associated with this game are wonderful. And so you know, if I'm deserted on an island and I want to think about the good times, Super Mario 64. <laughs> Chilling in Delfino Plaza is very apt yep. as well. Thinking of the yeah, good of times. Um, yeah. So what about the sort of DS remake then? Um, did you play that as well? Is that not... Uh, I, a lot I of people don't have very good opinions of that game. Yeah, well, not I, bad I didn't opinions. Really, just, it's fine. I mean, yeah. it's... But it's... I, I didn't play it that much. And from what I've heard, it doesn't run as well as Super Mario 64... Uh, I know you can play as like Yoshi and you can play as different characters in that version. Um, yeah, you can play but, as Wario, Luigi, Yoshi, and Mario. I think. And, yeah, yeah. I just I just remember it. They're saying yeah, it's good, but it's not as good as the original on the sixty four. Yeah, I think because uh, you know the three uh, the N sixty four version had the you know the three sixty analog. Um, and I think the controls to the DS were a little weird where the camera, you had to keep readjusting it. It was kind of not as 3D as you would feel, but obviously for a handheld at the time, it was pretty impressive. Um, yeah. But going forward then, very similar to Advance Wars, you obviously like Mario games. You were streaming Mario 3 and mm-hmm. stuff like that. How have you felt Mario has evolved in terms of 3D since Mario 64? Do you re- uh, feel like at times it's reached the peak of Mario 64 or are you someone that's like, it's never been as good? Yuck. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm kind of a purist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I It has never been as good as Mario 64. The closest we've gotten is the Mario Galaxy games, uh, which are both really, really good. But um, like the new Super Mario Brothers series, I think is just... I just, I'm not a fan. Um, it just feels like charmless. It feels so generic. Whereas like Mario 64, there's so many like cool, fun Easter eggs. It just feels, it feels like a Mario game. And I don't know, the new Super Mario Brothers games, they just feel, they all feel the same. There's just no life in them like Mario 64 has. What do you mean by no life? Because um, I, for me, Nintendo always has that specific charm. I, I don't know. I can't imagine a Nintendo game that didn't have life. I can imagine what you mean sort of mechanically and maybe inventively, um, but not so much the sort of life or soul is the way I'd put it. 
I, I the 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 new Super Mario. I don't know if it's the graphical style or what. They all just kind of look the same. The music kind of all sounds the same in those new Mario style games. Um, there's less sense of an adventure in those Mario games. Um, you know, it, I don't. They all they all feel like the same game to me. Those new Super Mario games. And okay. It's fine. It's fine for what they are. It's you know. 2D Mario side scrolling and it's it's good 2D Mario side scrolling uh but yeah there just seems to be a lack of soul in those games to me um not, nothing like the magic of Super Mario 64 even like uh Super Mario Sunshine while it's not a great sequel to Mario 64 it 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 felt really cool and unique and it had its own kind of style that I, I appreciate a lot. Uh, but I, as far as like Mario 64, people are still clamoring for like, we want a sequel to super Mario 64. And I think people are hoping that super Mario Odyssey is going to be that sequel that people are wanting. Yeah. Um, it kind of looks like it might be, I know it has some weird stuff. Like it takes place like in real life. I saw Mario like (laughs) running through a city, new Donk Um, city as it's actually. Yeah. Which is the weirdest yes. name ever. Yeah. But um Yeah, Mar Mario sixty four just has just these little little things in the game that you're just like, Oh, that's so cool and so much fun. Like uh like in the beginning of the game you can like like shape Mario's face. You can like drag his nose around and the chin and like make goofy faces with him. It's just like little things like that that Nintendo adds that just give a game soul and charm and make it so much fun. Or like surfing on a Koopa shell in that one level. Or, uh, you know, you dive off the edge of a cliff in the snow level and Mario gets stuck in the snow and he has yeah. to pull himself out. Like this, those little things are just make that <laughs> game so cool. Well, do you think, I don't know if you've played Breath of the Wild, but Breath of the Wild definitely has a lot of those touches there are so many little neat little yes things and if we have zelda doing that then maybe mario odyssey will have lots of those little touches especially with mario interacting with like real life objects i really hope so uh breath of the wild it's is reminding me of stuff like that because like um just like you're 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 you don't have a shirt on in Breath of the Wild, and you talk to somebody, and they're like, "Why aren't you wearing a shirt?" Like <laughs> just like little things like that. It 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 makes the game uh, just a lot more fun, and it lets you just try a whole bunch of new things. And I, you know, with Mario sixty four, it was a game that kind of gave you maybe a a sense of discovery and adventure that previous Mario's they did in a in a way like I. Remember, Super Mario World did it in a big way uh, with all the, like, secret paths you can unlock and, like, Star Road. But uh, Mario 64 kind of took it to another level with, you know, collecting all the stars and all those little Easter eggs we talked about. Um, and ex- exploring the castle, exploring Peach's castle. Like, there's all all sorts of weird paths or, like, the endless staircase you run up and you're wondering why can't I why can't I find yeah. the ending to this staircase? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a such a fun so game. Yeah, <laughs> it really did. I mean, there really isn't any more we need to explain about Super Mario 64. This is your list, and you've very much 
convinced me as to why it should be going with you. And I can totally understand that feeling of having a game that when you just pick it up, you just so much comes back to you and just Mm -hmm. not the feel like it's weird that games have this strange tactile-ness to them that is they invoke things that nothing else really can. I think music is kind of the only thing I feel sometimes that is close to games where even if a game plays the same as another game, a certain feel like when I play maybe Super Mario 64, if I played like Mario Kart or Smash Brothers or something, like all the memories of the times I've played with friends and uh, the times I had fun playing that game just all sort of come through by just feeling the controls of a game or uh, looking at it aesthetically, which is really weird. And part of the reason why I started this podcast was to talk about that and that idea that if you took something to an island, you could have memories through that connection um, with games. Um, But I I don't understand it. (laughs) I don't understand why it happens and why games (laughs) games are so strong. And it is games like Super Mario 64 that really do invoke that in so many people. It's it's incredible. I mean, little one somebody mentioned on one of my friends mentioned on Twitter that the the uh, the the page in the menu where you open your save file, the music that plays during when you choose your save file is like some of the best music ever in a game. And it's like you're choosing your game. Like the music shouldn't be this good, but it's so good in Mario sixty four. <laughs> yeah, that that little like that little like flute tune that plays when you're choosing yeah. your game. It's it's so good. Koji Kondo did an amazing job on that game. Some of the most memorable Mario music. I just think that was like four Mario games in for him as well. And he had to just sort of reinvent what he'd already been doing for a new console and a, a mm-hmm. new look. And that's just what he came up with. Oh, some people are too talented for their own good. <laughs> yeah. And what's crazy is you know when you get the 120 stars, spoiler alert, you get the 120 stars, You, you it opens the cannon in the courtyard and you blast up to the roof and you meet Yoshi. And you're just like, oh my gosh, it's Yoshi. And literally all he does is like, hey, Mario, thanks for playing the game. And like, that's it. <laughs> now, it, it, may se- it may seem like nothing, but like back then I was just like, oh, my gosh, I did it. I met Yoshi on the roof. And like, yeah, it, it was a uh, I'll never forget that. Despite how small and insignificant it may seem today. <laughs> and it's just those memories that we can't explain to people that invoke these kind of crazy things um yeah. ah, i love it but we're going to move on now because everyone knows who listens to the show i could talk about nintendo games forever and i this i don't want it to devolve into a nintendo podcast so let's talk about something completely out of my comfort zone um in this next game and i think okay. i can guess why you've chosen it um <laughs> from uh what we spoke about and what it is your background is so why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it Thank you. 
So the next game on Norman's list is a game I'm very interested to hear him talk about because it is a game kind of out of my comfort zone. I do, in a sort of guilty pleasure kind of way, enjoy first-person first person shooters, and uh, especially when I was in university, I spent a lot of time playing Halo or Call of Duty and stuff like that, but they are games that usually I don't tend to play, but I get a good kick out of. And I'm not sure if you are a big fan of first-person shooters, Norman, or it's because of the setting and sort of the backgrounds of this game that interests you more than the actual gameplay mechanics but it is a game developed by ea dice and published by electronics arts ea it was developed on the frostbite 3 engine and looks bloody good i will say that it looks fantastic it's a very good looking game that released in october of last year and it was released on the pc playstation 4 and xbox one it takes place during the first world war and is called very I still don't think this is a good name, um, <laughs> but it is Battlefield 1. Yep. Norman, please tell me, is this because of history or is this because of first-person shooting goodness? Uh, it's a combination of both. I am a big first-person shooter fan. Okay. Um, I know we're I know we have this theme of me killing things uh, going on in this episode. Uh, I assure you, I'm, I am a, a very pacifist person. I don't I don't like violence, but. Uh, a violence in real life, anyway. But, um, yeah, I've always been a fan of first-person shooters, and as we mentioned earlier, I love games based on history, and so this is a great combination of both. And what's crazy is that this is a game about World War One. and can you name another game that takes place during World War One? Uh, no, I cannot. There's maybe two or three. So there's, uh, I think it's called Valiant Hearts, which was like an adventure, it's like an indie adventure game. Um, and then there were some like mods on, gosh, for like Counter Strike that turned the game into like a trench warfare game. It was not very good. Uh, so Battlefield One, the fact that they took a setting like World War One, which is like never discussed. Uh, in the video game realm and they made it work and it's easily the best Battlefield game I've ever played. I've been playing Battlefield since their first game which was Battlefield 1942. Uh, did you ever play the first Battlefield game? I didn't play the first Battlefield game but I played the PSN downloadable Battlefield 1944? 1943? 43, yes. Yeah. And I had a lot of fun playing that game. Yeah, so... 1942 was the first one, and it was kind of one of the first, like, multiplayer online games where, like, you could control tanks, or you could fly a plane, uh, you could be an infantry soldier, you could drive a jeep, so it was kind of like an all-out war uh, online, and so they've kind of evolved the series ever since, and they got into, like, the modern warfare stuff, and that, that stuff's not as interesting to me because, yeah, you know, I, I like the history stuff, so when yeah. you said... When they announced Battlefield 1, and I agree, it's not a great name, uh, <laughs> but they, uh, I saw the like the teasers for it, and I was like, huh, this is, what is this based on? I almost thought it was like a sci-fi game, like a steampunk kind of universe, but when they revealed it was World War One, I, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to buy this, because <laughs> it, is, it is a a war that is just not, talked about world war ii kind of overshadows world war one and they made it work and it's great and it's getting people interested in world war one there is a channel on youtube 
that all they do is talk about World War One, and uh, they have skyrocketed in popularity because of this game. Because people are like, <laughs> I want to learn more about World War One. <laughs> That's it's great crazy. to hear, actually. Um, yeah. Did you specifically study uh, not World War One, but um, like? that era of history between world war one and world war did you uh, in fact did you actually study anything specifically or was it sort of a broad range of history uh specifically in college we focused on the american civil war uh pre-civil war and post-civil war because my college was a historically black college um so the subject of slavery was uh was talked about a lot in that school so we focused a lot on the american civil war which you know, ended slavery in the United States. So that was my focus in college. But, uh, you know, I've always had an interest in U.S. history as a whole. And so that's going to include World War One, and that's going to include World War Two. Mostly World War Two because that is a more... Um, it's definitely a more popular war, and I don't want to say like war. Everyone loves war, but like it's such a weird sentence. But I do know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, like as a in lot of most mo- of, a, a lot of media. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, movies, TV shows, vi- tons of video games. Uh, world War Two shooters feel like a dime a dozen. So, uh, doing a World War One game is a bold move. And actually, I live in Kansas City, Missouri, which is the home of the National World War One Museum, and so. Uh, I I have visited that museum quite a few times. It's a great museum, and uh, it ties in very well with this game. And I guess we should talk about why I have chosen this game for my desert yes. island. Um, and I asked you this when you asked me to be on the podcast. I said, does the deserted island have internet? <laughs> because yes. the reason I would choose this game is because if I can play online... I could play this game forever, I feel like. I've I bought it on launch and I have played it I think every day since it launched. Every um, day. Just about every day. I've played it online. Wow. Um, it's so much fun. It's so addicting. There's so many unlockables you can get. Um I love working as a team to to win a battle. It's not there's no like single heroes in the multiplayer. You can't just like run and gun and be Rambo. You have to work together. There's different classes. You have medics, you have assaults, you have support, you have snipers, and you just kind of have to work together as a team and take the objectives. Um, and you don't even have to like voice chat with your team members. You just have to. I think everyone kind of understands collectively what you have to do to win. Um, it's just a lot of fun, and I just. I'm addicted to it. I don't know. I, you know, like, like you said, it's part of my, my history, my love for history. And it's part of my love for first person shooters. Is um, there any, is there any interesting historical tidbits you could tell me about battlefield that it gets wrong or maybe gets right that people have just passed over and stuff like that? Like maybe stuff that you've noticed that you're like, wow, I can't believe they did that. Or wow. I can't believe they got that wrong. Um, not so much like they got it wrong, but like some of the weapons you can use in the game, um, they weren't like very common weapons. Like some of the weapons you can use are were like prototype weapons that they were just like testing out. Like, okay, there's no way a common soldier would be given this weapon to use in the battlefield. Um, but, you know, 
it is World War One, so you got to make you got to make it interesting and lively. So having access to those weapons you wouldn't normally see um, is probably a good move on Dice's part, uh, just to keep the game interesting. You know, you don't want to just be sitting in a trench with a with a rifle, like waiting for stuff to happen. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be kind of boring. Uh, and, okay. And that's what that's what World War game what. World War One games were before they you just like sat in a trench. The purest. And you, yeah, and then you charged the other trench, and I was like, "This isn't very fun." So, uh, so it, it's great that they made a game like this. One thing I did forget to uh, just press you on a little bit was you have played the multiplayer every day. Uh, well, pretty much every I'm, day since I, it's launched. Yeah, I may be stretching that. I I definitely have played it all. Whole played lot. it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so for the multiplayer, um, but do you remember what I what the rule was? What I told you? Uh, you cannot talk to other people. So, way. are you okay with that? Yeah, I I I actually don't like talking to people in that game. <laughs> so I just like to play. <laughs> you just I don't I don't want to talk to people. Just yeah, murdering people left, right, and center. Norman. See, you're 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 pushing that narrative again. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to have fun. Um, no, and actually, <laughs> it's um, it's it's part partly the the whole thing of you know there is a stereotypical you're gonna get the the annoying people on voice chat that are mean to you and you know they're just being really annoying. Like I've muted a lot of people in that game because they're just annoying. I just want to play yeah. and have fun. That's totally uh, so understandable. Like the the absence of voice chat I'm totally okay with. What's weird about this game is um I haven't played the single player in this game besides the opening the opening tutorial mission that you're forced to play. Which is wow, that, which is weird. That is I weird because the single player. It's it, it kind of well they're fictional historical stories. Um You'd think that would be right up your alley, wouldn't you? I guess you get sucked into multiplayer and then playing yeah. AI doesn't feel the same ever, really, does it? Yeah, I, I got sucked into the multiplayer. But what what I've heard is, and actually the opening tutorial mission was very good. Um, what I've heard is the single player is really well done and it actually teaches a, teaches a lesson of like the horrors of war and why war is not a great thing and why world war one was like it was such an epic war that really didn't accomplish much in the end it was almost felt like a senseless war and i think they they kind of pushed that story in the single player um but like i said you know when i'm on delfino i'll have to play through the single player and enjoy it but well you've got all the time in the world (laughs) I do, yeah. I'll have to play a you single player. M- but the thing is, after learning about the horrors of war, you might not be able to look at Delfino Plaza in the same way and all the bright, colorful sunshine. You'll be like, this isn't how life really is. This yeah. isn't- <laughs> Where's exactly. the horrors of war? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I highly encourage um, people that even have never played a Battlefield game to check out Battlefield 1. And you know, maybe you'll get an interest in World War One, and you'll go watch that YouTube show I was telling you about. It's crazy because they they actually took like video clips from Battlefield, and the guy that hosts the show, he's a historian, and he like 
nitpicks the the trailer for Battlefield and it's like, okay, that's accurate, that's not accurate. Ah, I really um, like that kind of stuff. It's so nerdy, yeah. but I do like yeah. that. <laughs> and he ex- he explained, like, people will send in questions like, hey, I've been playing Battlefield 1 and I noticed I have this item. Like, what army used this item? What was it for? And he'll, like, explain everything about it. It's great. It's great that a game can do something like that. It's amazing that game developers can do that. So, I, I mean, as much as I don't like the Assassin's Creed games, like some of the depth that they go into and some of the team, the research they have to do and getting in like consultants and stuff like that to make it as accurate as it possibly can be for a game um, mm-hmm. is very commendable sometimes. Yeah, I, I really do appreciate when developers take that extra step and, and make a game as historically accurate as possible. Excellent. Well, we're going to move on to your next game now, Norman, and um, we are passing the halfway point now, and we're moving into a sort of another aspect of American history. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you if you know much about this American history as well, um, but it's a great game, um, a great game by the company I used to work for, but thankfully isn't GTA Five, um, as we have spoken about GTA Five in great length on this podcast um so let's dive right into the next game it's such a great game with finally i get to use the wonderful jose gonzalez and this wonderful track far away as the next piece of music which i'm super excited to play back now so let's listen to that and let's dive straight into it So the next game on Norman's list, passing the halfway mark now, we are getting to the last four games that he's going to be taking to Delvino with him. It's the open world western action adventure game that was developed by Rockstar San Diego and published by Rockstar Games. It's the excellent sort of, what is it, the the American frontier, um, sort of the, the American decline. West. The American yep. West, the decline of it, set in the mm-hmm. uh, year uh, 1911, following one of the greatest video game characters of all time, in my personal opinion, John Marston. It released mm-hmm. back in 2010. Whew, man, we are getting old. We're moving yeah. on. <laughs> and uh, it features some great music and features one of my personal favorite moments in video games. Um, but the next game on Norman's list is, of course, Red Dead Redemption. Norman, please tell me why the next game you're taking with you is Red Dead Redemption. Um. Probably the most enjoyable open world game I've ever played. And as you know, open world games are a great genre to take with you to a deserted island, I think. Absolutely. You can just sink so many hours into them. 
And uh, Red Dead Redemption is one of those games and to me is one of the best examples of an open world game and how engaging and engrossed you can become in an open world game. And of course, my my fondness for history is going to show here because it does take place in 1911. It does kind of tell a story of like the end of the American West and kind of the end of the frontier. Um, but this was a game that I don't I don't know if when you when you first played Grand Theft Auto three, did you? have like a feeling of like whoa this game is so cool and incredible i can't believe i'm doing this in a video game i i remember the feeling of driving getting in and driving a car and the radio playing being like the biggest deal mm-hmm. that's that's what i remember from gta3 and I, I, and this is weird because i'm someone who as everyone knows worked on gta5 but i've never had a large affinity for gta specifically um, okay. <laughs> but there are moments in, especially GTA 3, when I got in the car and listened to the radio that were amazing. But in terms of Rockstar making an open world game, like Red Dead Redemption to me is like the pinnacle of what they can do. Yes. And that feeling I got when playing GTA 3, it came back when I played Red Dead Redemption. And I never thought I'd get that feeling back again because I thought the open world genre was like, well, this is it. This is what This is what it's going to be. And then Red Dead Redemption came out. And the fact that they, Rockstar, who has like perfected open world games, uh, you know, Rockstar made Red Dead Redemption. And what's great is like the franchise kind of like fell in their lap. It's not like, like yeah, it was originally it was a Capcom <laughs> game. It was. It was a Capcom, Red Dead Revolver, um, yes. which is in not their game at all. <laughs> yeah. And was based on Gunsmoke, which is this old shoot them up from the arcades that's that is actually quite a lot of fun but it would not make my final games list uh red dead <laughs> red dead redemption is um wonderful storytelling uh at rockstar's known for this great voice acting um visually stunning i mean the fact that i can just like play as john and get on a horse and just like ride through the desert and I'm just like taking in the views just speaks to like how visually incredible this game is. Um, I love the morality system where depending on what you do, people interact with you differently. Um, I love, I love the gunfights and what's, what's weird is like, I feel like the American West sets itself up for video games, but there's not that many games that take place in the American West. You'd think, like, Cowboys and the Frontier would be, like, perfect for a video game setting. And, like, Red Dead Redemption is, like, one... There's not too many games that are just, like, westerns. Mm, um, well, yeah, I, I can only think of, like, Gun, Red Dead Revolver, like Call Red Dead Redemption. War, Call of Juarez, Gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Call you know, of there's, there's a few. But, like, Red Dead Redemption is, like... It's it. This is like the the Western game. It is you, you yeah. can't beat it. When There's you think cowboy so, game, it's it's this. Yeah, and you feel like one. Like you feel like you're in the wild west. Um, you know, just riding on your horse, seeing a train go by, seeing carriages go by, seeing wild animals, um, and just so many. And again, Rockstar is known for this. So many just like great little missions, side missions. Um, 
and I don't want to spoil the ending, but it has one of the best endings uh, to a video game. The first ending or the second ending? Um, so the the barn ending or the the uh, the after the barn ending? Ooh, that's a good that's a good question. Because some people don't like the actual end of the game because of the character you play doing something. Uh yeah. Um I was thinking more the barn. Okay, that yeah, no, there is definitely an ending for most people who played the game, I think. Especially yeah. me because it angered the heck out of me because I goddamn <laughs> love John uh so much. Yeah. He's a great character. He he really is and um I like the way the story felt like believable in a way. I don't know, it felt like it felt like a western and i like that about the game um one of my favorite missions and it's just a side mission and it really doesn't affect the game in any way but i you know i played the game when it first came out but i still remember this mission i don't know if you remember it it's uh you find a stranger on the side of the road and he wants you to pick flowers for his wife yes i do remember this and when you pick all the flowers and you you go back to his house. He's like, Oh, you know, let's, let's go back to the house. You know, my wife can make you tea or something. And you walk in and his wife's dead. Yeah. And she's like a <laughs> rotting corpse that. And so the guy is just like out of his mind in denial that his wife has died. And that was, I will never forget that mission for some reason. It was just so, I guess I didn't expect that to happen. And that's just one of those, one of those little things in this game that, you know, make it so incredible and immersive. Just little things like that. It was, and it had so many of those types of missions. Like, I remember, like, going the hunting missions as well when you go hunting into, like, the wilderness and Mm -hmm. stuff. There's a lot of times when you're sort of isolated and on your own in that game. Um, Right. Which is a stark contrast to, you know, what Rockstar are used to doing, which is populating cities and making it feel like you've never got a moment of peace. Um, Mm -hmm. And talking about those sort of isolated moments, I feel like Red Dead Redemption was up there for a long time for me um, as one of the best games I'd ever played. And I think it was solely based on that one moment for me, which was when you first ride into Mexico. And I mean, yes, everyone talks... I, I, want, I wanted to bring that up, actually, yeah. when, when you cross over to Mexico and the music builds up. and yeah, so... It's such an incredible moment in that game. I will. I I would. I could go on about that moment for a long time. But Norman, as the guest, please tell me how that moment sort of how it felt to you. Gosh, it it was so like it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. I know that seems kind of silly, it's, but like that it does. It does seem really silly because it, I mean, everyone I've ever spoken to about this, everyone's like the Mexico moment, the the, the moment, and it's like it's all it is is riding a horse into over a hill with some music playing as the sun sets into another place. That is another area of the game. And that's all it is. That's all it it is. I felt like a movie. (laughs) I felt like I was in a movie and the music builds up and it's just so dramatic. And, and the track, the track by Jose Gonzalez. Yeah. The the soundtrack is so beautiful. Amazing. Such a great um, piece. (laughs) Yeah. That, and then, you know, that game's incredible, but then you have, um, Rockstar putting out Undead Nightmare, the kind of like downloadable <laughs> extra, which is so silly, uh, but it's it's great. And it's kind it's, of it's, one of the, 
it was like one of the first examples of great DLC as mm-hmm. well because DLC was still a new concept at that time and then right. all of a sudden Rockstar released this sort of $20 add-on that came as a retail box as well um, mm-hmm. that had like another 15 hours of gameplay and it was super weird super stupid but played really really well and had a great story too and, yeah um, such a just a, an amazing package of a game and I guess I should mention when I when I choose Red Dead Redemption, I'm I'm choosing the game of the year edition that comes with Undead Nightmare. That's okay. I, I, that is yeah. a reta- <laughs> that is a retail pack, so you can have. Yeah. It. Um, when I was, um, I go to a convention every year called Retro World, which is in Connecticut, and um, every year there's a guy that comes to the convention and he works for Rockstar. Um. And every time he would come up to my table, because he, he's a fan of my videos, I would ask him, when are we getting Red Dead 2? And uh, <laughs> the, fir- the first year, he was like, I can't say anything. I can't say anything. You know, I, I don't know anything about that. Well, this past year, I said, when are we getting Red Dead 2? And he said, um, look out next week. <laughs> and the, the very next week, they announced Red Dead 2. Yeah, it's it's weird because I mean I can't I I can't say anything even though I've not worked at Rockstar for nearly two years, but it's I will say that it's good to see people are finally seeing it. Um, yeah, and um, I'm excited personally as a fan of the first game. Um, so it's yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> I just, I don't I don't know how much you know about Red Dead Two, but I I did watch the trailer a whole bunch of times, and I have like come up with a theory that red dead 2 is a prequel to red dead redemption i don't know if it's true but my theory is based on um there's a scene in the trailer where a train goes by and there's like a ton of buffalo roaming around and i I think i've seen this theory like some people are are trying to tie in the chrono like how many buffalo were left or yes this i you heard it here first i came up with this theory so i need full credit on this yeah the um, full credit goes to norman yes uh before yeah the the buffalo is almost extinct by the time red dead redemption took place so the fact that there is that amount of buffalo in the trailer makes me think this take place before red dead redemption does that mean we can see john again maybe I do not know this. I'm not. I'm not hinting at anything. I do Maybe actually do like not know anything. The escapades of John Marston and his old gang, because it is a gang that shows up in the poster and the promotional right. stuff. Right, and I, I'm very excited that maybe we're going to be able to play as different characters and experience each one of their stories. And they kind of did that with Grand Theft Auto Five. Yeah. Um. So maybe they're taking that and incorporating it into the Red Dead universe, which is a great idea. It is a very good idea. Having a gang that you can swap between other characters and maybe, I mean, you could go anywhere with it. Could You could approach the same side quest as multiple characters and it play out in different ways, depending on the character mm-hmm. you're playing with, like the attitudes and personalities of each character or the conversations and that kind of stuff. Um, right. But man, the, the task that would be if you had a whole squad of people um, <laughs> doing that. Um, oh, but, that'd be great. Imagine the gunfights. Like with, uh, with you and you and your gang, it would be so cool. And you could like switch between them. Like it'd be mm-hmm. like that thing in uh, Driver, uh, the San Francisco, where you could like hop out of into the air and just choose like a random person out of the gang and like start <laughs> shooting with them. That'd be really yep. cool. That'd be it really cool. Be. Yeah. Um, 
But we're going to move on now from Red Dead okay. Redemption, a game I know very well, to a game I don't know anything about whatsoever. I don't really know much about the sport um, that this next game is based <laughs> on either. I mean, I live in Japan, and the, this sport is the most popular sport in this country as well. Um, mm-hmm. But being a British person, I have literally next to no experience with this sport. And I've heard this the name of this game passed around, but I, I don't really know what it's about or anything. Um, so let's listen to some music from this next game and um, let's dive yeah, yeah. straight into it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> let's listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> game on norman's list is a very drastic change from what we've had so far we've had like lots of fast action and sort of responsive controls we've had set pieces we've had all sorts of sort of bombastic games and stuff like that uh now we're slowing the pace down a little bit i think and um Mm -hmm. this next game i think is a game that was developed by software creations um and published by nintendo for the uh super nintendo Back in 1994, it's uh, a licensed game. So, according to what I've read, uh, Mm -hmm. this game had the Major League Baseball license, but not a Major League Baseball Players Association license. Correct. Except Ken Griffey. Apart from Ken Griffey. um, Meaning that the game had, like, stadiums, real teams, but all fictitious players. Right. Um, so all their statistics and everything was ma- it was sort of made up based around the the sort of players that it was based on, which is kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but yes, the next game on Norman's list is Ken Griffey Jr.'s uh, Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball. Yes, I I know this is like a total selection out of left field, um, and probably Quite. not probably not a genre many people think of when they're like, what game do I want to play on a desert island? But uh, one of the things I was thinking of while on this desert island is I want a good mix of genres of games. And I, I'm i a huge sports fan, and I love baseball. And okay. I can't, I can't think of another sports game that I've put more hours into than this one. Um, and it's, I've said this before, it's one of those games that I could just pick up every now and then and play a game, play a game of baseball on it. And there's also a good history behind this game. Um, I did an episode about when Nintendo bought the Seattle Mariners back in 1992, I believe. Yeah. And, um, oh, go ahead. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. And and Ken Griffey played for the Mariners, right? 
Correct. So Ken Griffey was kind of the up-and-coming all-star for the Seattle Mariners. And uh, Nintendo, the Seattle Mariners were put up for sale in late 1991. And Nintendo uh, was based out of near Seattle. And uh, some investors approached them about buying the Seattle Mariners. And to everyone's surprise, uh, Hiroshi Yamauchi uh, agreed to purchase the team. But there was a huge wave of kind of xenophobia around it because they didn't want a foreign investor buying, like, an American pastime. Like, people were kind of afraid of what that would mean. Um, but ultimately, the, the, the deal went through, and because that deal went through, Nintendo, you know, gets this deal with Ken Griffey, and they publish Ken Griffey Jr.'s Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, he was arguably probably the most popular baseball player at the time so this was kind of a a huge deal for nintendo because at the time sega was kind of the console for sports games but then the super nintendo has this game and it's probably one of my favorite baseball games uh it's very it's not super in-depth uh i know like when you think of sports games today like fifa or madden or MLB the show, they're very deep. Like, there's player yeah. stats and equipment, and there's just tons of stuff in those games. I prefer the more arcade-style sports games yeah. that are very, like, pick-up, play, too. simple. Yeah, and this is this is like that. It has some some basic things. Like, it does have player stats, but that's not something you have to worry about. It's just something passive that happens in the game that's cool to see. Uh, you can play a whole season, which I really liked, and you can save your season, so... Uh, like sometimes I like to play along with like the regular season going on in real life. So like if, you know, I'm based out of Kansas city and we have the Kansas city Royals. So when the Royals play a baseball game, maybe I'll pop in King Griffey jr. Presents major league baseball and I'll play a game as the Royals playing against whoever they're playing in real life just to see like, can I, will I win in the game and will the Royals win in, in real life? It's kind of like a, superstitious thing like okay if i if i win in the game they're gonna win in real life um but yeah i it was um it was an impressive game in that uh it you could play a whole season you could save the stats of all your players throughout the season which i thought was really cool it it replicated the real life stadiums which i had not seen before in a game until that point it's very easy to pick up and play there's only like two buttons you need to know um, and the controls are are really well done, so you never feel kind of cheated out of making a play. And I, I love baseball, so this this felt like a natural selection for me to have on uh, the island of Delfino. And that is a perfectly good reason. I love hearing just that sort of, do you know what, this game might not be for anyone, but this game is for me, and I mm-hmm. really want to, I, I feel the same, and also something that some people don't get is I'm, I'm huge into sports as well. And mine is soccer, football, um, and playing FIFA. I do play FIFA a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. but I would much rather play a game of Mario strikers over FIFA just for the arcadiness any day. Yeah. Um, and there's just something about the sort of almost pure simplistic, um, feeling towards that, like it feels like the sport, not so much the statistics and all that yeah, sort of it's, stuff. It's a it's a good balance because I do like that I can play as the Kansas City Royals, and you can play as them, 
but it's not like it's not like intimidating and super in depth where I have to worry about all these things or like injuries or like you know what equipment do I want to put on my bat or what what gloves should I wear? I just want to pick up and play, but I like that I can actually play as the Royal, so it's a good balance. Uh, one of the fun things about this game is, as you said, they didn't have the Players Association license, so they couldn't use the player names, um, except Ken Griffey, because he had his exclusive deal with Nintendo. Um, so they had each team kind of had a theme, and that's what they named the players after. So, like, uh, the Texas Rangers, all of the players are named after uh, outlaws in the Wild West. So there's a player named Jesse James. There's a player named, uh, you know, Billy the Kid. Uh, so th- that's that's a fun fun Easter egg to look at. Um, the Kansas City Royals are all named after presidents. So like my third baseman is Eisenhower. Uh, <laughs> my 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 second baseman is Lincoln. You know, it, it's 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 fun stuff like that. Uh, it's it's just one of those games. Yeah, I. I, I've sunk a lot of hours into it. I love those arcade-style sports games, and baseball is probably one of my favorite games to play as a video game. So it it seemed like a, a an easy selection. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but there's there's a really famous base sort of arcadey baseball series in Japan. Um, is it that- Proyaku Family Stadium? Maybe. Um, or um oh. It's called like Power Pros in the United States, I believe. It's, I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, I, it's a Konami game. I have like a Game Boy Advance copy uh, on my shelf, but it's it's too far away that I can't read the katakana of it. But mm-hmm. there is like a the sort of famous Japanese baseball um, series here too, and it's super arcadey. It features kind of like um, almost. Do you know the game of life, like the little counters you get, like with the mm-hmm. weird round yeah. top heads? Like yeah. they look like that, but it, yeah, they, this is all... power. That's Power Pros. Uh, it's called Power Pros. It like everywhere else. It's not called that in Japan, but uh, yeah, they only put out two of those in the U.S. Um, but yeah, it's super popular in Japan, and they they still make them today. And actually, I have a few buddies that import the game every year because they love it so much it's really good series like i Mm -hmm. I, i'm not into baseball too much but i have sort of got to know a little bit more about it since moving to japan we have you know the the hanshin tigers and the hiroshima carp and stuff like that um but i picked up a few cheap game boy advance games and one of them was like the game boy advance version of this um it's called jikyo powerful pro yaku so sort of like Live, powerful pro baseball is the literal yeah. translation. Um, but it had all the teams on it, um, all of the teams, but the fictitious players. But the the gameplay was that arcadey style, um, which means as someone who doesn't understand baseball, it was really easy to play. It was just like you throw the ball and and you hit it, uh, and and the more you play, the the more you realize you can like curve it or like fake it and stuff like that and mm-hmm. it's really fun I, I, i'm wondering if you if you've played it yourself because I, I i think it might be something that you'd really enjoy actually uh yeah i i own both power pro games that came out in north america and they are definitely a blast they are actually very deep games uh they do have some rpg elements in them 
uh, especially if you play the single player mode. Uh, so it's not, it, it does have a pick up and play mode, but yeah, the, the single player mode, you have to like work your player up from like the minor leagues and get them to the big leagues. And it's pretty difficult. I had a, I had a hard time with it, but I, it's, it is a series, uh, I wish would come back. I don't think it's sold too well in, in North America, unfortunately. Yeah. It still gets like, I, there's like PS4 versions of that game now. Mm-hmm. Um, I see them all the time. It's, it's kind of like the FIFA sort of syndrome, and they get updated every year here, too. Yeah. So they must be selling okay in Japan, which doesn't surprise me, really. Um, yeah. Japan doesn't particularly like too serious a sports game. So um, <laughs> arcade style for their favorite sport does make sense. Um, yeah. But maybe you'll see it again at some point. Um, I hope but so. We are going to move on now. Um, away from baseball and we're going back into a sort of more uh, uh, series everyone knows about <laughs> very similar to Mario this is a, mm-hmm. this is one of Nintendo's big hitters even though Nintendo don't technically own this series at all and right. as we've seen um, we have mobile versions of this series now because that can happen um, and we're going to get into a little bit more about s- specifically choosing a version for this too um but i can see why you've chosen these this package almost um but let's listen to some excellent music and let's dive straight into it So we've come now to the second to last game on Norman's list. And uh, originally when Norman wrote this down and showed me his list, he had both both games down. And for for this series, you can understand um, why that might... Because they're kind of synonymous with each other. It's very hard to choose one over the other. Um, they both have exclusive things in each other. And they kind of come as one package with each iteration of this series. Whenever you talk about one, you talk about the other. For example, red and blue. Gold and silver. Ruby and sapphire. Like, they they come as a package. Um, yeah. And although on this show, we're going to have to make you choose one. I'm very happy that the ones we are going to be talking about are also personally my favorite versions of any game in the series as well. And they are games developed by Game Freak, the creators of Pokemon, published by Nintendo. It technically is Gen 2, um, but is now... This version is a Gen 2 amalgamation with Gen 4 as well. And mm-hmm. it was sort of mixed everything up, but it is a uh, a uh, I I hate to say update. I'd say completely re 
a, a recreation of a very very good game but two very yes. good games pokemon gold pokemon silver um these games though they released in september of 2009 in japan and then came a year later in both north america and europe in 2010 they are the nintendo ds recreations pokemon hot gold and pokemon soul silver now norman I guess the first thing we have to do is we have to decide which one is the one we're going to talk about. Uh, <clears throat> let's go with Soul Silver because that is the the version that I played uh, when I when I bought and played these games. So we'll go Soul Silver. So Soul Silver is the one you're choosing, which is weird because I would choose Hot Gold. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now! Why would you choose Heart Gold? I think Heart Gold is the one I choose because Gold is the one I got when I was younger. Ah, okay. Um, uh, so I got Silver when I was younger. Uh, so it entirely makes sense, doesn't it? It's really there is no preference over either. Um, I think both Legendary Birds in this are pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Both of them have their both traits. Um, but there is some minor differences between how they're presented in uh, certain ways. But personally, you have chosen the the best Pokemon can be. Um, I love the new games as well, but the fondness I have for Heart Gold and Soul Silver is very very high. So why is it that you're taking them with you? Well, you're taking one of them with you to Delfino. Uh. Well, so of course, growing up, I loved Pokemon. I think any anyone around my age grew up playing Pokemon. Um, and once you once you play these games again, you just it becomes instantly addicting again. And so you have that like itch to play Pokemon uh, every now and then. You just can't put it down. It's such a a very addicting series. And um, Pokemon gold and silver when they came out it felt like the 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 height of pokemon's popularity when they came out um it was like a phenomenon um with the movies the tv show the trading card game and then gold and silver come out and it was just like a great time to be playing that series when gold and silver came out and it also felt like gold and silver was what red and blue was always meant to be. Um, cause you hear about like all the Pokemon, they couldn't fit into red and blue and they eventually were in gold and silver. So it feels like, yeah, like, this is, this is the game they always wanted to make. And it's a huge game because not only do you get the Johto region, uh, yeah. you also unlock the old Kanto region and you can go yep. back and play through all that again. So it's like <laughs> an enormous Pokemon game. And I chose uh, the Heart Gold Soul Silver versions because it's like an updated, uh, a much more polished, better version of the originals because yeah. it is it is true the originals have not aged the best. So that's why I chose the DS remakes. Is there a specific reason as to why? I mean, you have the the Kanto and Johto, mm-hmm. um, and you have the Gen One, Gen Two, and then the sort of amalgamation of the other ones they wanted to add up until uh, sort of Gen Four. But that was mostly like you could trade backwards, so you could trade from Ruby Sapphire and Emerald to Gold and Silver. Like you couldn't do that before. Um, 
but the new Pokemon games, like we've seen X and Y and, uh, you know, Sun and Moon, they're huge games as well. With hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Pokemon and so many regions. Um, yeah. Is is there just kind of a lesser fondness for that? Are you not wanting to catch all of those Pokemon? Because realistically, we have to admit that if you're going to stay on a deserted island or a place by yourself, those games are going to have way more replay value, but also the same Pokemon. This goes back to... Um... You know, I talked about the new Super Mario Brothers. Just like it feels like it doesn't have a soul. Ah, okay. I soul get silver. That. Nice pun. I see what you did. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I I get that same feeling with like some of the newer Pokemon games. So like Pokemon XY, I just was not a big fan of Pokemon XY. Um, I didn't like the art style. I I I just. It just felt way too easy. I kind of missed that grind of like leveling up your Pokemon. Um, there's a big gap in Pokemon XY where you're just like between the gyms, which just takes forever and drags on way too long. Um, and I actually, I will admit, I have not played Sun Moon. I have heard Sun and Moon is like much better than XY. But uh, there is there is the fondness of the older Pokemon games, and this might just be like the old man in me talking but there are too <laughs> there are too many pokemon now like way too many pokemon i can't um, even count them <laughs> yeah uh, i think i think the amount in golden the golden silver series was like the perfect amount where like there's a lot but you can like remember all of them like 250 i i definitely remember all of them from red and blue and then gold and silver added like about 100 more I think that's like the perfect amount of Pokemon to keep up with. After that, I lost track. There's just way too many. <laughs> yeah. Is it, uh, I mean, it, it, like I know why you've chosen it. Like in like in my heart and my head, but trying to formulate <laughs> into words to other people who've maybe not played these games as to why mm-hmm. they are uh, like special um, is difficult. Um, it is. It is. Uh, <laughs> Pokemon's kind of like in a in a league of its own. It is, um, yes. It's it's highly addicting. It's uh, got some got some great uh, has has some charm. I'd say I like some of the dialogue. I love the music, um, but really that that addiction factor plays a big part in Pokemon and why it was so so popular. I mean, the catchphrase "Got to catch them all" was brilliant for Nintendo to use because it really did kind of drive home. Uh, the point of the game and like why it was so addicting. You did you did want to catch all the Pokemon and you wanted to have like the best team of Pokemon and you wanted to fight other trainers and win. And uh, just the the variety of Pokemon you can capture was great. And um, especially in Gold Silver, I loved some of the new Pokemon you could catch. Uh, even like the new starters like Totodile uh, and. Oh, th- Best, best, best guy. Like, yeah, you I always go. I always I went with the water. Always went I, with the water see, type. I always go for fire. Yeah, mm-hmm. Totodile was a. He was a. He was an alligator. He was like a. He was a freaking alligator. How could you not choose an alligator? Like, and that was exactly. like the first time I chose a water Pokemon over a fire Pokemon. And uh, best, best decision ever because for alligator it was amazing. Yeah, it was. Um, like Ken Sugimori's art was a huge part of that game because you could just like look at a Pokemon and be like, that's so cool. I want to capture it. Yeah. I want it. There's um, I can't remember the name of this Pokemon. He's like 
a, a it's just like a turtle. I can't uh, remember the name of him. As not he's Squirtle, in, he's, obviously. He's not Squirtle. He's in gold and silver. I'm gonna look him up real quick. Uh, <laughs> gold, silver. Come on, turtle. Shuckle. Oh, That's Shuckle. Okay, Shuckle. like the the red and yellow Pokemon. Yeah. Because he's the... not he's he's not a great Pokemon, but I just found him in the wild, in the game, and I was like. Oh my gosh! Look how cool this guy looks. I I like turtles, so I I had to capture him. I had to, and but he's not a great Pokemon. It's just it's stuff like that in the game that makes it so enjoyable. But Gold and Silver added some great features to the franchise that are still around today. Like they have the they added the Steel type, they added the Dark type Pokemon, they added Pokemon breeding, um, they added the ability for Pokemon to hold items like berries so that automatically heals them or cure yeah. status effects. That was huge. Um, they added the day and night stuff. So like some Pokemon show up at night, some Pokemon show up during the day, which I thought was really cool at the time. And they also added the ability for trainers to call you for a rematch, which was fun for a little bit, but then it got annoying later in the game. Like, you'd just be walking along and your phone would ring, and some trainer from, like, the beginning of the game would be like, hey, how about a rematch? And I'd be like, no, the, uh, I, I have very no famous, interest. What's his name? Kid Joey? Joey and yeah. his uh, Rattata or whatever. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, I, like I said, I think uh, Gold, Gold Silver was, like, the best version of the Pokemon franchise um, and then Heart Gold Soul Silver was the best version of that version. Yeah. <laughs> so what about the Pokewalker? Did you use the Pokewalker at all? I Were didn't. Um, like... I, I I know Heart Gold and Soul Silver did come with that and um, but I have not turned mine on at all uh, <laughs> using that. I never used it. Uh, it was kind of kind of cool though that it came with that. It was a neat little add-on, and um, you know maybe you maybe old... I can use it. I can use it on on the island of Delfino. You know, get you some could, get my yeah. steps in. It's a pack in <laughs> with the with the game, so you will get it. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you you can get your exercise in for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, well, I mean, there it's hard as we said to sort of formulate why Pokemon is still so special, and specifically like. I mean, I am a fan of the newer games and stuff, but I, I maybe, I know a lot of people have, I, a lot of people kind of berate people who maybe never passed red and blue and are only like, ah, the first 150, they're the only Pokemon for me. I don't care about the others. And, you know, you sort of roll your eyes a little bit at that statement. But yeah, like the, there, with- there are people that like Gen 1 purists that are like, that is the, that is the only Pokemon that I will ever play. And it's like, eh, Pokemon got better. Yeah, you know, red and blue, plain red and blue. You know, plain red and blue again. It's it's a slog. <laughs> <laughs> Those original games. And you're right. And it's like, um, like I was thinking when you said about uh, Sugimori-san's artwork is like, the guy did like the first lot, kind of rushed, kind of experimental. So mm-hmm. like with gold and silver, it was like his first proper crack at like creating stuff that was like he'd learned and like he could 
maybe formulate his ideas a bit better. And I think that's why some of the, the Gen 2 Pokemon really stand out to me. Um, and why that generation is so special. Yeah, you definitely see some more unique designs in Gen 2. Um, even just like small details, like maybe like a, a black circle around an eye, just like unique characteristics of some of these Pokemon that you know, maybe you didn't see as much in the first generation. The the updated Nintendo DS versions I always liked because like you get the improved uh, battle animations and you get the improved sprite work so that Pokemon like pop out of the screen more. Yeah. Um, I played Gold and Silver originally on my original Game Boy because it was a Game Boy Color game, but I didn't have yeah, a Game Boy Color. It was. I had, yeah. I you could you could still play it on your original Game Boy. So all the Pokemon were in, uh, you know that shade of green for me. Uh, so play, playing the updated versions was was great that I got to see all the bright colors and fun sprites and all the updated animations. It was just an incredible experience and I I can't think of uh, a better Pokemon game than the Heart Gold Soul Silver, but I'm specifically choosing Soul Silver because hey, I get I get Vulpix and you don't with Heart Gold. <laughs> It's very true. It's yeah. very true. <laughs> but I get Ho-Ho, and I love going to the top of the tower, uh, which is, uh, you know, I've been to Kyoto many, many times now, and seeing the tower and being like, that's where I fought Ho-Ho when I was like an eight-year-old child is amazing. Yep. <laughs> there, there, yeah, there's a, 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 huge, a certain magic with Pokemon, uh, like encountering those legendary birds for the first time. Yeah, it was like kind of uh, nerve wracking because they <laughs> yeah. were the the uh, the birds actually showed up on the map as a sprite where usually Pokemon were random battles you don't see them, uh, so actually like seeing the Pokemon that you're about to fight was like oh man this is a huge moment in this game I better not <laughs> screw it up because <laughs> you only get one chance it's like capturing Mewtwo in red and blue like that was that was a, that was a quite a battle. <sighs> so many saved, you could have just saved your master ball but you know yeah give yourself a challenge with the ultra ball yeah so many inching your way then saving inching your way then saving and mm-hmm. and making sure you didn't you're making sure you saved just before so you could just like quickly fire off your game boy before if you made a mistake and then restart <laughs> from where yeah. you were before <laughs> yeah well we're gonna move on now to Unfortunately, the last game on your list, Norman, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I've had so much fun talking about these games, Um, but we are going to move on to the last game now. And if memory serves correctly, uh, and everyone knows my memory is very poor and people correct me (laughs) all the time on this show, um, this game has never featured on anyone's list before. Which shocks me. it also shocks me too. And <laughs> it's kind of become strangely, it's gone from being a cult classic to now kind of like popular. Um, I think obviously we've had a virtual console release and, but that I, I feel like even that popularity was there before the virtual console release too. And I think smash brothers has been a huge, a huge part of that. Um, but out of nowhere, I think everyone knows this game now. And, and in some way, m- more people have played it than it ever when it was on its original production run. Um, but I'm very excited to talk about this game because it's a very, very special game. That means a lot to me as well. Um, so let's listen to some of the best Super Nintendo music out there. 
and let's just dive straight into Norman's final game. So the final game on Norman's list today is a game developed by a company called Ape um, and in conjunction with uh, the late Satori Iwata's uh, HAL Laboratory, uh, also famous for Masahiro Sakurai 2 and Kirby and Super Smash Brothers, everyone will know. Um, this game was directed by a... At the time, kind of a game designer, he designed a game called Mother previously, which had released in Japan. Um, uh, but he was a, a sort of, uh, he was a writer, uh, but he was he was quite famous in Japan already. And um, he was making a game, and it was a sequel to a game he'd made that had been sort of popular. Um, but he's kind of, a, kind of a genius, I think. His name is uh, Shigesato Itoi. Um, and this game released for the Super Nintendo in Japan under the name Mother 2 back in August of 1994. It then released a year later in June of 1995 in North America under the title Earthbound. Norman, please tell me why this wonderful game from 1994 uh, that I've never really had the chance to talk about on this show before, Earthbound, is your final game. I I am legit shocked that no one has chosen this game for their final games and you've had over 50 episodes so yes <laughs> the fact that that's uh what 400 games people could choose and no one chose earthbound that's crazy uh, i think unless is... i'm absolutely mental but i have a really <laughs> big affinity for this game and I don't. I. I. I think I would definitely not be feeling this kind of awe and shock and excitement at being able to talk about it now if it had appeared before. But as we sort of spoke uh, just before the show previously about this, was um, we'd sort of hit at the fact that although this is an RPG, it's kind of a very very structured one, mm-hmm. which maybe is uh, once you've played it through maybe once or twice, it's maybe a little difficult to go back and play it again but you have chosen it and um yes. norman please tell me why have you chosen earthbound um i it it basically changed my idea of what an rpg game can be um specifically like a jrpg it it kind of smashes all of the tropes it's not a medieval fantasy rpg where you have swords and fight you know, well, you do fight monsters, but like not the traditional medieval kind of style RPGs that JRPGs tend to mimic. Uh, it takes place in like modern day, and you play as 
a normal kid who has a baseball bat or a yo-yo. And you go through normal towns with cars and restaurants and hospitals. And so it, it just like, it totally like, I was like, whoa, this is different. This is not what I'm used to when I think of a Japanese role-playing game. Um, and it was so funny. The writing is so hilarious. And that just like shattered my concept of like how how well written a Super Nintendo game could be, specifically like a funny game. And I think that le- that is more about Shigesatu Itoi working on the game because I'm sure he had a lot to do with the the humor in the game. Yeah, um, absolutely. But it uh, it just I feel like it does so many things right. Um, it's it's fun to play. the 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 battles are well done. The music's superb. I love just the little things of like if you're a higher level than an enemy, you don't have to fight them. You just automatically win the battle. You don't even have to go into the battle. <laughs> um, I like that. The, I like that the enemies show up on screen, so there's not random battles, which can be really really annoying in JRPGs. Um, I love the kind of simple story, but a good lesson overall about, you know, hope and working together and believing in people. And, uh, you want to talk about a game with charm? I don't, I can't think of a game with more charm than Earthbound. Uh, it's just a superb game and it's... It's it's a shame it took so long to get a virtual console release of Earthbound, uh, because you know it came out in North America in I think 1995 in this yeah. gi- in this giant package because it came with a strategy guide because it was a, a somewhat weird game and I think Nintendo wanted to make sure people had help playing it, uh, so it came with the guide. It was a huge box, and I don't think it sold very well. No, um, <laughs> so. You know, but it has developed such a cult following. I mean, you have, uh, you know, Starman.net with their petitions to Nintendo. You, there's a whole convention dedicated to this series, not specifically Earthbound, but the the mother series as a whole. Um, I again, just the little things. I love that I can look in a trash can and find a burger and take it. I like that at the beginning of the game it asks you what your favorite food is, what is your dog's name, and it uses those <laughs> answers. It uses those answers throughout the game, and it just feels so personal. You know, it's I can't say enough good things about Earthbound, and the the first time I played it, believe it or not, was the year two thousand eleven. I hadn't played it before then. Not that, I hadn't see- even emulated it. You see, that does doesn't that actually doesn't surprise me because I feel like even with like Lucas and um, uh, like Ness being in Smash Brothers uh, over the years and then being synonymous with that series and not their own series, um, I feel like the Earthbound sort of popularity is fairly recent. Apart from like Starman.net, uh, which yeah. is like those guys have been hardcore for fucking ever like those guys have been earthbound nuts forever um but i feel like the popularity around earthbound has is is fairly is a modern thing i think we got to a point when i and i think youtube is a big part of this where 
we got to a point where because people were making so many videos about old games, people were going back and playing games mm-hmm. because it was kind of the cool thing to do, like catching up almost. And right. one of those ones that everyone banged on about after someone realized how fantastic it was who'd not played it, I mm-hmm. think was Earthbound. Yes. And and growing up, I remember this game at Walmart, specifically walking into Walmart and seeing it and like, whoa, that game is, what's that big Super Nintendo game? And <clears throat> I remember seeing previews for it and I'm like, oh, you know, I, I might I might like to try it, but I couldn't afford the game. It was more expensive than a standard Super Nintendo game. Yeah. And um, I just never played it and I kind of forgot about it. And then when, you know, I got back into you know, when I got started collecting the retro games again, uh, you learn about Earthbound and like, hey, this is a really, really great game. You should you should check it out. Uh, so actually, I walked into a thrift store one day and I saw it for two bucks sitting in a thrift store. And so that's how I got my copy of Earthbound. And the year 2011, I moved to Kansas City from my old state of North Carolina and uh, Earthbound was one of the games I kept during that move. I sold a lot of my games when I moved, but I wanted to keep Earthbound because it was a game I wanted to try out. And that summer, when I first moved to Kansas City, a new area I had I had not been to. It was my first time moving away from home, so it was kind of an uncomfortable experience for me. Playing through Earthbound was such a therapeutic experience, and it was like maybe one of the the most enjoyable parts of that summer. Like, I'll never forget that summer of 2011, playing through Earthbound, looking for a job, and just, like, learning about a new city. And, you know, you kind of see the lessons in Earthbound reflecting in my actual life. Like, don't give up hope. Believe in yourself. You will find that job. You will get used to, <laughs> you, you will get used to, you know, a new area you will explore and find new things in this city so it was just a great great experience playing that and i try to play it every year now like because i i just i go back to that moment and like how wonderful it was for me and i want to re-experience it yet again and yeah i like i said i can't say enough good things it 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 says a lot when earthbound according to shigesato itoi was the first role-playing game that Shigeru Miyamoto actually beat because Miyamoto wasn't a big fan of role-playing games. This was the first one he actually beat, so I think that says a lot. <sighs> that does. That says so much. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and, and not only like how, how great the game is, just like the history of the game is superb. It's one of the most requested topics on Gaming Historian, and I would love to tackle the entire Mother series. Um, it's a game that went through development hell and Satori Wada comes in and kind of saves the day and yeah it's 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 funny you said this actually because I I was experimenting sort of last summer and I was making I I made a new sort of video series Um, I can't remember what it was called like I I was toying around with sort of making something a bit more uh, factual and uh, informative but in sort of a short form, form kind of way Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was called like explained gaming or something, something stupid and dumb like that. Um, but uh, I, the reason was is because I wanted to talk about Mother Three, um, and the sort of the development, how that that went through, and the Nintendo sixty four, and how this game that we know so much about, but 
we've never gotten and mm-hmm. fascinates me as well. So I, <laughs> please, Norman, please do something like that. <laughs> you will do it way better than I will as well. <laughs> I, I, there's, there's a few great Earthbound retrospectives out there. Um, Derek Alexander, who uh, used to be called Happy Video Game Nerd, now he's called Stop Skeletons from Fighting. He did a great Earthbound retrospective. He's also a huge fan of the game. Um, Joey DeSena, who did a show called uh, 16-Bit Gems, he did a great retrospective on the Earthbound Mother series. And he actually owns a prototype cartridge of the first Mother game, which you know they were going to release on the Nintendo Entertainment System, but... Uh, and the game was like ready to go, fully translated, but they they ended up not releasing it. So there are some good retrospectives on on the on the series. But as far as Earthbound's concerned, I I think everyone by now knows the the power and magic of this game. Um, so that's why I made my list. It's like. I just love the game so much. I don't know what else to say about it. You just is, have you just have to yeah. play it. Um, you have to play it for yourself. You can play yeah. it on 3DS. You can play it on the Wii U. You can, of course, emulate it. But you know, um, you should pay for it. Um, and also, you can play it on Super Nintendo if you can get hold of a cartridge. Um, so I I am adamant with Norman that you should play it if you have any interest. Don't don't spoil it for yourself. Um, it's something that you won't understand why it's so special unless you play it. Um, right. Which is and kind I, of like a lot of games. I mean, that's cliche to say, but this is definitely one of those cases. Yeah. And, you know, in in the beginning of the game, it might might seem like, oh, when's this going to pick up? But it definitely, it it's a great game. Um, even people that aren't really into role-playing games, I think, should try it out. Because I think the writing alone in that game is is worth playing through. Just like hearing what everybody has to say. I mean, it breaks the fourth wall quite a bit in that game. Like, I think one of the the cops you talk to in the town is like, "What are you doing here? You should be at home playing Earthbound or something like that." <laughs> it's like stuff like that is like it's so cool to me. Uh, definitely an easy addition to my final games list. <laughs> Just one of those solidified. Yeah, this is my choice forever kind of thing. Never yeah. gonna, not even wavering. Well, it makes so much sense, and it's a great way to end this episode. And Norman, it's been an absolute, utter pleasure having you on. Um, Such a fan of your work, and to hear you talk about the games that you like as well and have that sort of opinion um, come through is and has been such a wonderful experience. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. And before we let you go then, we have to ask you the last question that I ask every single one of my guests before they leave. And it's always, we have spoken about games, and of course, you're going to be taking eight games with you to Delfino. Um, But, you know, gaming is a a broad spectrum, and uh, you will know yourself that one of the big things is uh, consoles as well. And, um, you know, we all have a favorite console. Consoles aren't just a piece of plastic that we put our games into. They also have a sort of soul to them as well. Yeah. Um, and that's why we have such affinity for stuff like the Super Nintendo and the the, the Genesis and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So if you were going to go to a deserted island and you could only take one console with you, as well as the eight games that you've chosen. Uh, okay. So thinking about the, the back catalog and the... the 
the sort of controller and the the software and every everything that comes with the console as a as a package when you look back at it if you can only take one what would you take ooh um you know what i'm going to go with the game boy advance that's that's Is, am I, I allowed to choose that I, yeah, of course. Absolutely. I'm just wondering if that's ever been chosen before. I don't think it has as well. Let me um, explain let me explain why. <laughs> please go um, ahead. First of all, the the game one, it's a handheld, so I, I like that aspect. I can walk around the island and play my Game Boy Advance wherever I want. Uh two It's a very sunny island though. Yeah, but I, I'll make sure I have the backlit version of the game. Okay. So it's, it's good in the sun. Uh, the, the other reason is it has a great catalog of games, but it's also backwards compatible with the Game Boy library. So you're kind of double dipping there. But does that count? Am I allowed to double dip into the Game you Boy library? You are allowed to do that because we've had people who chose the DS for the same reason as having the Game Boy Advance games, the original DS. Yeah. Uh, part part of why I want the Game Boy library is uh, the Game Boy was the first system that I ever owned on my own. I got it for Christmas. It's, it's one of my favorite consoles, and there's tons of great games on the Game Boy, um, and I just want to make sure that I'll, I'll be able to play those. But the Game Boy Advance had a lot of great like Super Nintendo ports, and uh, a lot of good like RPGs on that system. A lot of the Final Fantasy remakes were very well done on there. Uh, so I think I would have an endless amount of games to play on the Game Boy Advance. Excellent. Well, alongside those eight games that you're going to be taking, you can take the Game Boy Advance with you as well and all of the games um, that you can play. And you can walk around with your little black backlit screen uh, chilling in the sun. Yep, I'll be able to Chilling. play, you know, Link's Awakening and Advance Wars 2, and I'll be a happy guy. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Norman, before we let you go then, please tell the wonderful listeners who have listened all the way so far where they can find you on the internet and also what they should be checking out of yours. Uh, you can find me on youtube.com slash gaminghistorian. You can find me on Twitter at gaminghistorian, or you can just go to my website, gaminghistorian.com, and kind of learn all about what I do. Um, as far as like a good primer for my videos, I'd say watch watch some of my most recent work, and that'll kind of give you a good idea of what the show's all about and what I do. I I wouldn't recommend watching my old videos because like I, said, <laughs> I started nine years ago. I, I feel like I've come a long way. So you definitely have, and I feel like uh, some of the most recent episodes are definitely a good way to step in. Um, there was a re- Norma did a fantastic fantastic uh sort of almost documentary like episode about uh lawsuits uh around the uh, the age rating in video games and mm-hmm. the how ESRB. Sort of yep. the esrb uh came to form in between sort of nintendo and sort of sega having pot shots at each other and uh some games that came up and i highly recommend you go watch that video because that is that is such an excellent representation of what Norman does and how fantastic his videos can be. So definitely go check that out. And as well as checking out that out, you can obviously listen to final games and 
you have listened to this episode so far, so maybe you'll be interested in finding us on the internet. You can find the show at Final Games Show on Twitter. You can also find me, Liam Edwards, at Liam BME. The show is on SoundCloud, and you can search for it on iTunes. Please go ahead and give us a rating and a review on iTunes. It really does help and pushes up those rankings every week. So thank you so much. Um, and thank you for listening to this episode of Final Games. Thank you so much to Norman for joining me today. And I hope to see you again next week. So, goodbye. Goodbye.